Okay, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Planning Policy Working Group, which, as you know, is broadcast live. Um, we have two speakers for item seven, Mike Young and Ken MacDonald. So uh, when we get to that item, uh, the, our normal process is to allow the officer to put the paper in context and then for you to speak and then the, uh, the committee to speak. So we'll do that when we get there. So item one, apologies for absence and declarations of interest. I've no apologies received, Chairman. Any declarations of interest? Um, as, a as a county councillor, Chairman. Thank you. Uh, minutes of the previous meeting. Um, are they a true record for those that were present? Is that a yes? Okay, thank you. Uh, and matters arising of that uh, meeting. Sorry, I should have said, I didn't send my apologies because my mother fell over and I had to go to hospital with her and didn't get a chance, but I did apologise to you later. Just okay. thought I'd make that point. We'll add your apologies. Thank you. Thank you. Councillor Lachlan. Okay. Um, we won't use page numbers because that gets confusing. Um, PP 24 to 26, any matters arising? No? Uh, 27 to 29. Councillor Dean. Yes, Chairman, on um, PP 28, <coughs> um, just before the, um, the final agreement paragraph, it talks about the report on issues and options that it will be referred to the full council meeting on the 13th of October. Now, I know that uh, there were some, um, what should we say, new ideas that were put forward at the full council meeting and, and subsequently and you know they in themselves have been dealt with but what it what it and uh, but what seemed to come out of that was that members of the council who aren't members of this working group in, in some cases didn't realize that um, there's a, a lot of documentation that had both been looked at prior to the meeting this meet the last meeting of the working group and then subsequently forwarded to the full council, but it wasn't probably until the last minute that they realised what was coming. And I just wondered whether we could, as a council as a whole, improve the process such as if there is something that's in the public domain already long before a council meeting, that all, all members are specifically uh, have it brought to their attention so that they can look at it uh, in advance of the um, council meeting's agenda coming out, say, only a week before, and that might avoid the sort of problems that, that occurred on this occasion. No, that's a perfectly uh, fair comment, and we'll uh, look to see if we can uh, do that in, in, uh, in future. Um, obviously, all these uh, things are published on the website, but I take your point that it probably just requires some focus and drawing of attention. Okay, I think we've covered 29. So PP 30 to 32. Councillor Dean. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've got something on this page as well. But the um, public meetings that took place, certainly the one that took place in, on the consultation two weeks ago in Dunmo, and then the one that took place, um, I think it was Wednesday last week, at the, in Stansted, that um, members of the public did raise this question about 
they'd been made aware that there'd been a meeting, at least one held in, in Dunmo, which was talking about one possible um, uh, larger, larger development of which none of us has had any part. But there, there seemed to be that sort of feeling that things were going on behind the scenes that as far as you and I, Chairman, and, and other members of this working group, I, I, I don't believe we are involved in. And, and, and it seems to me that, that we, need to, we need to address these um, concerns in some way, and I'm not coming up with any particular proposal now, but it, it, it is a, we, 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 have, we have a much more transparent process than we had before. Uh, I, think that, I think we need to say that time and time again, that there aren't decisions are not being made behind uh, closed doors in order in due course as time goes on to, you know, re to regain the confidence of the public that what we say is what's happening. And so I, I raise it now because I think it is something that's probably going to occur again and we just need to be alert to it and, and make sure we get out the right messages to, to, you know, to satisfy the public that this is a, an objective evidence-led process and, and nobody's jumping the gun on anything. No, well, thank you. Uh, for, did you want to comment on that point? Councillor Barker. Yes, I'd just like to say that at that meeting, we did make it very clear as councillors that we did not hold meetings with developers, have not hold, held meetings with developers, will not hold meetings with developers. Um, that is a, a, a role for officers and a role, as we've said here, for the, the, the Garden City um, company that we've uh, employed to speak to developers of sites or potential developers of sites of over a thousand units. Um, but I would stress again and, and later on in the agenda we get to the fact that I as a member here do regularly hold duty to cooperate meetings and I will continue to do so with Cambridge, with Braintree and with the Schmar area of East Hearts, Epping and Harlow because that is what we are required to do. So, you know, developers no, neighbouring authorities yes. I mean, any help that you can get, and you, have, you, you were helpful at the public meetings, Councillor Dean, but any further help that you and others can give in terms of the transparency? I think uh, sometimes when you say, uh, trust me, uh, we, there really is nothing dodgy going on, uh, it, it creates more of a problem than, uh, than it actually solves. But um, I think uh, it's on public record that Land Securities wrote to me, they've met one or two people, nothing to do with uh, Uttlesford planners, but others who are, aren't part of the planning process. And I made it very clear to them that certainly I wouldn't be talking to them. I wouldn't expect any member of, uh, uh, to do with planning at Uttlesford to talk to them until we were much further down the process. There is a time to talk to developers. Obviously, I think we all recognise that, but certainly not at this stage. That would be wholly inappropriate. So, uh, and I think I, I sent to you and to Council Lodge copies of my response to um, land securities. So I totally take the point. Um, and, uh, but I I think if we can just keep making that point so that people... Councillor Lodge. Yeah, just on, on that same point, um, that, that was the one that you, you actually missed. And despite us saying over and over again, very frequently, the, the, the people of Dumbo were, weren't convinced that there weren't deals going on. So I just wondered whether there was scope for any statement to be made, particularly about land security. Land securities have, have possibly made an approach at, at a a difficult time, I won't say it's a wrong time, but it's a difficult time. So I wonder whether we might want to make a statement just on that particular approach, just to clarify for everybody that we're not meeting and that, and that we're not doing deals behind closed doors or deals that are inappropriate. 
We'll have a look at that. I mean, obviously, I think we all understand that that uh, particularly bit of, bit of land that they're talking about is subject to appeal at the moment. We're waiting to hear from the Secretary of State uh, for um, the Little Eastern um, um, <coughs> appeal, um, which is by land securities. But um, no, I'd be happy to, to, to make a statement if you felt that would help to reinforce Councillor Mills. Thank you, Chairman. I think this is because... Um, the concept or the, the view from the public is that we are the council. It's that separation of what we're trying to do for our roles separate to what the council are doing. Um, Garden City Developments and Atlas and those sort of meetings going on uh, appears to include us all. And it's how we separate what we're doing at this stage from that going on. Thanks. Okay, I've talked to Mr. Barden and Mr. Taylor uh, about uh, how we phrased that, but thank you for those comments. Um, Moving on, PP33, uh, and that completes. So no further matters arising. Thank you for that. Uh, that now moves us on to uh, item four, um, and I call upon, I think, Mr. Payne to talk to this item. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, members will recall that in December 2014, the Council received the report of the Planning Inspector in respect of the 2014 submission local plan, which broadly concluded that, quote, taken together, my soundness concerns about the objectively assessed needs and Elson and Policy 1 lead to my not being able to recommend adoption of the plan as submitted, unquote. Following receipt of the report, the Council withdrew the plan in January this year and the following month the Planning Advisory Service, or PAS, were commissioned to undertake an independent review of the uh, local plan process. The PAS review was presented to the Scrutiny Committee on the 10th of September and the executive summary from the review is included within tonight's agenda pack. The Council's proposed response to the PAS review is included at agenda item 4 uh, this evening. The aim of the report is to present the lessons learned from the review, explain how these have been incorporated into the new local plan process and how the principles set out should continue to inform work on the local plan going forward. PAS undertook five tasks as part of its independent review. For each task, the Council's response identifies the key messages illustrated by quotations from the PAS documents and officer responses to each mes message are provided in the grey boxes at the end of each section. A summary table drawing together the main points from PAS and actions taken by the Council to address these points is included on the last page of the document. Uh, and the recommendation is that the working group should support the proposed response to the PAS review. Thank you, Mr. Payne. Um, it, it, it is extreme. I mean, th this is a very helpful uh, paper, very comprehensive paper, and a subject that's already been uh, discussed at scrutiny and uh, continues to be monitored at scrutiny. Um, it's absolutely right that we are crystal clear what the inspector said and what we are doing about what he said. Uh, but obviously, it's, it's, it's important to have it written out um, very clearly, as you have done, uh, but it's even more important that we actually do what it says. Um, and um, I'm pleased to welcome Richard Fox, who is uh, in the audience, just raised his hand, uh, who is the, I'll, I'll come on to say a few words about Mr Payne at the end of the meeting, but uh, um, Richard uh, joins us as the uh, interim uh, 
Head of Strategic Planning, and I, uh, it will say publicly now, but I'm sure it doesn't uh, need saying, um, that clearly uh, this group and Council and Scrutiny will be following this paper and the recommendations in this most scrupulously uh, to make sure that we, we, we follow through uh, clearly. Uh, so that's the context. Colleagues, anybody wish to comment? Councillor Dean. I certainly welcome this report. This is, as members will know, a piece of work that started off with uh, scrutiny before I was chair of scrutiny and then we, we received the, the actual final report in September and it worked its way through cabinet and in a way it's working its way back now and I think, I think that's, that's good and I'm, I'm very pleased wearing my scrutiny hat that it is being followed through in a, a rigorous way. I've, I've been through it. Um, there are uh, a couple of points that I'm not sure are covered, uh, and I'll, I'll raise those in a minute, but I've got a couple of points that I, I want to make, and one of them, in a way, refers back to the last item when we were referring to the minutes. It's the quotation on page 19 in the grey book where it's talking about evidence-led approaches and, and it, um, it contains the uh, statement from the inspector about uh, the possibility of new settlements and I think, it's, I think it is worth emphasising that the inspector did in December say that, that a new settlement may form um, an appropriate means of catering for future demand um, but it was down to us to work it out and um, I, I'm only mentioning that because I, I know there are s some people who think that it's, it was a recommendation that we should go down that route and, 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 and it wasn't um, and part of our job is to work out in due course whether that sort of approach is or is not appropriate and now is not the time to go into all the um, we might be picking it up later in terms of how we go about <laughs> making our mind up in due course but um, I just thought I'd I just thought I'd mention that one because I think it's important that we there's so many documents that you try to keep in your head and see how they all fit together and it's extremely difficult. Um, I want some magic chart on my wall uh, with hundreds of circles and how they all link, but I don't have one at the moment. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, no, I, I'm not going to mention that. The other couple of things that I, I wasn't sure whether they were covered, but I, I looked at the report, the summary report that I gave to the Cabinet on the 22nd of October. Um, one of them in a way comes back to the other discussion. It was talking about the, the, the reduction in trust of the Council that occurred with the last process and, and how we need to go about that. And, and one of the things that the the planning advisory service said is that in terms of getting the message across to the public that we need to explain it explain it again and explain it yet again and I, and I think that's something that we've all got to bear in mind that even I need to hear things four times before it sinks in sometimes uh, and, and that must apply even more to members of the public who 
um, don't have the benefit of these mountains of paper to uh, look at uh, from time to time. So I think, I think that's, I'm just making that as a general point that, it, that our communication internally as well as, well as elect as well as externally is very important and it might be picked up in there but I, I didn't notice it and then the other one was um, well the other one actually did relate to that it was the fact that um, it said that um, it was about all, all council members knowing what's going on at each stage to avoid unnecessary conflict and misunderstanding and that's where we have had discussion about the, the need for workshops or master classes or whatever you want to call them um, and, and I'm not sure whether we've got things scheduled. Um, for instance, one of these documents talks about, I, I think, the decision on the sort of pre-sift approach after this, um, after this ex current exercise is finished, coming to full council. And I think then it's important that all members of the council know what's been going on rather than having this repeat of the situation that occurred in October where suddenly people are taken by surprise, don't know the background and, and uh, don't know how to handle it. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm just repeating things that are in here somewhere, but I think uh, sort of top level things for us all to bear in mind and, and, to, and to carry through. Thank you. Okay, I'll well, we'll make a note uh, to have that workshop before the council meeting, particularly if we're going to talk about the SIFT at the next council meeting. Um, <coughs> Councillor Lodge. Thanks, Chairman. Um, I'm similarly confused to Councillor Dean. I have notes here. I've got red, red marks on my uh, screen. So apologies if I don't quite get them all in the right order. But I've got three or four points about the past thing which do relate into the later ones. So um, I'll maybe do them one by one and get a, get a response. Uh, firstly, on, on page 19, one of the, one of the earlier uh, comments was on um, the getting a proper, proper evidence-based uh, studies to bear. And I have a, a, a general conceptual worry on this, that we're going out for a, a number of studies which you talk about, transport and uh, the Green Belt and so on. Um, later on we come to talk about making some early decisions, sieving out some of the options. I wonder, is the timing going to work? Are we going to get those evidence-based studies in, in time to make the decisions on the timetable that we have? And bear in mind, I've got other questions on the timetable later. So that's the first and quite a difficult point, but I wondered if uh, Martin and now uh, Richard coming in uh, thrown into the middle of it if, if you feel that I suppose Martin you'll have to make these comments tonight but if you feel that logically this will fit in um, yes so I think at the public meetings we um, tentatively suggested that August next uh, October sorry uh, autumn 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 next year uh, was uh, when the council would be seeking to uh, put out for consultation the preferred options. But I think that the message that we were trying to convey in the, at the public meetings was that really the timeline depends on having that evidence in place first. And certainly, I think when we come to the, uh, the next item on the agenda, one of the key recommendations in that respect is that the soundness and having the evidence in place should drive the pace at which the plan is moving 
move forwards. So unless you've got, unless and until you've got the evidence, um, you can't really move forward. So um, you know that that would be my advice would be not to not to move too quickly. At the same time, obviously, if you can anticipate that there's certain blockages that might be uh, anticipated further, further down the line, then try and try and address those. Uh, as quickly as you can early on um, and get the, the necessary technical work underway. And there is a lot of technical work on, uh, underway at the moment. Um, some of it is going to be quite complicated to resolve. So um, we'll just have to see how, how it goes and uh, expedite the process where possible, I think. Does that answer thank your question? Yeah, well, thank you. I, I may come back to it slightly when, when, I, when I come up to, to the time table some points later in the, in the next paper. Uh, one question, probably not for Martin here, was though on the, um, on the duty to cooperate, I'm, I know that obviously it's a process which officers and the one party are currently participating in. Now, is this the right process? Is there no role for the other parties on the council to be involved in that duty to cooperate? It seems just slightly lopsided at the moment. I'll ask Councillor Barker to answer that. My understanding is there's one representative from each council. Um, yes, you're quite right, Leader. Um, there tends to be one representative for each council, and that tends to be what well, is in all cases from the administration party. So if you look at Harlow, where we hold most of our meetings, um, the member there is Councillor Tony Durkin, who's a Labour member from Harlow, who represents and occasionally, when he's not available, then uh, John Klempner, the Leader, attends. Um, that is the case in, in all the duty to cooperate, whether it's just a one-to-one -one with Cambridgeshire or Braintree or the Schmar area. The corollary to that is I hope that we, we've got some very old papers in here. I would hope that now we can, we can have much uh, speedier production of, of those papers so that those of us who are not physically involved can actually see what's going on and monitor that. I'm sure we can manage that. Thank you. Okay, we will action that, uh, Maggie, in the minutes. Could I ask, do they have observers at these meetings? That was a shake of the head by uh, Councillor Barker for those listening in. So, uh, so it, is a, it is a closed meeting then. Uh, yes, these are meetings with, uh, I, I tend to go with Andrew Taylor or occasionally Roger Harborough, but it tends to be one member and one or more officers at the meetings, but they are, they are closed meetings. Councillor Parry. Um, as well as seeing the minutes once they're produced from these meetings, is it possible to have, is there a plan or a programme of future meetings and who you're going to see um, so we can see how the duty to cooperate burden is, um, is progressing and how it's panning out in the future? Um, yes, I mean the duty to cooperate meetings with the Schmar area, the next one is next Friday, Friday the 4th at 5 o'clock or something. Funny time to have a meeting, but that's when all parties could make it. Um, I met with Cambridge this week, earlier this week, and I'm meeting with Braintree next week. The, the meetings with Braintree and Cambridge, have been, sorry, South Cambridge, have been less frequent. Um, the meetings with the duty to copy meeting Harlow um, are monthly, and I think will be for the foreseeable future. But I can give you a, a timetable of the meetings, and we can get some, some notes built into this process um, as soon as possible. Thank you. Um, is there a reason why you have fewer meetings with South Cams? Is there a reason why there are fewer meetings with South Cams? Um, I think the thing is that both Uttlesford as a district and South Cambridgeshire as a district 
are looking to accommodate their growth within the district. We're, we're looking at a figure of 568 or 580 houses a year. They're looking at somewhere near 900, um, 950, I believe. But they do not have very many constraints. So there is no reason that South Cambridgeshire should be looking outside its borders to accommodate its growth. South Cambridgeshire, for anyone who doesn't know, is actually a donut round Cambridge. It's not south of Cambridge. It goes all the way around. It's quite a big rural district with not very many rural settlements. The reason for duty to cooperate meetings with South Cambridge are to do with things like the Wellcome Trust, who are looking to extend just across the border, to look at implications on the road network, should we allocate any houses to the north of the district, and to look at implications on our road network, should they allocate any houses sort of just north of our district. So it is not quite as pressing. The, the, the Schmar area where we're involved, there is a target for delivering X number of houses a year, every year for the next 20 years. And that has got to be accommodated within those four districts. So that is a much closer working relationship. Councillor Dean. I have a point I'd like to raise on page 37, <coughs> which is actually the inspector's letter that he sent out just before Christmas last year. Uh, picking up on page 37... You might want to give the paragraph because some people are on the screen. Right, well, um, goodness knows, because it's the, um, it, it appears after... It appears right at the end of this report. It's, I think it's the last document. No, no yeah, they can find the, the, the report, but it's, it, is it 1.11 or 1.12 that you're talking yes, to? I'm on page 37. It's page 3 of the letter and page 37. It doesn't really matter because I'm not actually quoting from the, the document. Oh, it's, two, it's paragraph 2.1 in the okay. inspector's letter. We're all with you. Paragraph 2.1, yeah. Elsenham Policy 1. Elsenham Policy 1, land at North East Elsenham. Now we're still waiting for the Secretary of State's deliberations on that appeal. But is there any, any basis for something I heard that there's been dialogue taking place between the Council and I don't know whether it's DCLG or the Planning Inspectorate or whoever about community infrastructure levy in relation to this. M Mr. Taylor's nodding, I, I, so I'm curious to know. Well, I'll ask, uh, <laughs> I'll ask Mr. Taylor to comment on the basis he's nodding, but uh, the situation on SILs and 106s is that currently this council has a policy towards Section 106s. We, we've taken legal, uh, not legal necessarily, but expert advice twice on that point uh, and have advised both times that it's current, in the current interest, uh, things may change, um, and that uh, whilst we going through this process, uh, we are where we are. Obviously, uh, as we, when we present our um, um, uh, proposals to the inspector, um, then that might be an opportunity then to reconsider as to whether we want to go to SILs. But I'll ask Mr. Taylor just to see if I'm right. Um, you are, Chairman. Um, that in relation to uh, where we are in terms of dealing with Section 106 or, or, or SIL, um, on that point, as we, as we produce a new local plan, we'll have to take a decision about whether we, we move to SIL or not based on the, the infrastructure development delivery plan that we will need to put together and, and the costings in relation to that and, and make that decision. Now is not that time. Um, in relation to um, the appeals, we had contact from Department of Communities and Local Government, which is where it's sitting now, not with not with the planning inspectorate, um, on both the 
Elsnam and the um, East Middle Eastern you know, Land Securities uh, requesting details of existing Section 106 obligations within those areas that related to the same obligations that uh, the draft legal agreements on each site seek to secure, if you follow that. So, for example, um, and the Elsnam scheme, the proposal is for uh, a primary school on the site, so there's a legal agreement attached subject, you know, if the inspector was to approve it, there's a legal agreement sitting there um, ready and all signed um, that would secure the delivery of that primary school. What um, CLG wish to know is how many other legal agreements there might be sitting uh, within Elsnam or within you know, the, the outer Dumo area that related to similar sort of infrastructure requirements. So we've, we've written that letter back, that's gone back to Department of Community and Local Government and as I understand it, when I chased the case officer last week, the decision notices and letters and all that are sitting with the lawyers at the moment, um, CLG lawyers. So it's sort of moved from pins to CLG to the minister and back out from the minister to the lawyers before anything's issued. So it's sort of creeping slowly towards hopefully getting something out, but no, no dates or anything at all. So what, what might one read into that dialogue? <laughs> That's the question I wanted to ask. You won't get an Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I mean, they were very clear that it said, uh, please note that this doesn't. I mean, it's a legal. Uh, they have to legally assess these issues. So, whichever, whatever decision is, they will have to have legally ticked off this box. So, in that sense, it doesn't help us at all. Where there's no inkling about which way it might go, because they've got to go through this process to make sure they're legally watertight. So. Um, and they were very clear in their letter to us that that's, and they're all on the website, so um, it's all public documents. But um, it's just a two or three page letter we sent back. Right, well, thank you. We'll um, see what comes for Christmas. Right, if that, Councillor Lodge. Sorry, Chairman, I was going through and I'm on my last one on, on this section, though it does relate again to other parts. And other parts, and that was on the, uh, the transport consultation, sorry, the, the transport consultants which you are employing. You mentioned on page 30 that um, you, you've, you've appointed consultants, and then later on, actually, I think uh, we're in the process of appointing them, but I'll leave that for the moment. Uh, but it said that their brief appears to be re to review the areas of search for their uh, in traffic implications and sustainability and so on. I wondered, uh, the brief must surely be broader than that. It must be to give a comprehensive view of, of, of tran the transport situation in the district rather than just looking at the individual areas of search. Mr Payne. Um, I think the brief is actually in the agenda pack further on, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I think that the... Um, the, the remit of the transport consultants can expand to take in any, any relevant factors as necessary as work progresses. So um, the important point is that the councils engage them. It's not, it's not a single discrete piece of work. Um, you know, it, it, I suppose one of the key things that the inspector mentioned was Junction 8, but um, quite clearly the transport issues go well beyond Junction 8, and uh, we'll be looking to the, uh, to the transport consultant to provide their advice on you know, where further work might be necessary and uh, you know, liaise with the transport authorities as required. Yeah, so it's ongoing work, and I'd hope we may be able to see interim results. Members may be able to see that rather than waiting for a big denouement at the end. 
I know you will have gone by Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not um, as I say, it's not a single discrete piece of work that, that we're anticipating from them. So it should be a series of outputs over the coming months uh, leading up to the draft plan and then the, uh, the part of the brief for the consultants was to support the council at examination, so right through to examination. And in any case, I think it's right that we, we, we see those interim reports because infrastructure is fundamental to the process. Uh, but also, we might well want to be taking action because one of the delays to the last plan was around uh, the, the, the highways response. And that did include uh, the highways agency as well as Essex County Council. And um, you know, if there's any impact uh, on Junction 8 again, um, then we would need to be having that dialogue with the relevant authorities. So well in advance. We're not going to trip over that hurdle as well uh, the second time. Okay, if there are no other points, we'll now move on to agenda item five. The, the, um, one of the, yes, I beg your pardon. Yeah, uh, I'll, ask, uh, I'll, I'll ask the um, planning policy working group to, well, I think it's a little bit more than note, wasn't it? Um, the recommendation is that you, thank you for correcting me um, that the proposed council response to the independent review of the 2014 submission local plan be supported those in favour of that unanimous thank you item 5 um, and this also this is a recommendation to note but it is a very key aspect of the whole process and having been asked by officers to read this section diligently, which, which we've all done, um, as we went through, I tried to sort of do some scenario setting in terms of the guidelines in here against some of the possible uh, sites. And my conclusion was, uh, you called it quasi-judicial, I think, at one point in the report, um, that this is about shades of grey. It is not black and white. Uh, on that note, I shall ask Mr Payne to introduce the report. Thank you. Um, this report sets out guidelines and recommendations for the preferred options stage of the local plan, of local plan preparation. This follows on from the issues and options stage, the consultation for which closes next Friday. Preferred options is the draft local plan stage and requires councils to make a number of very difficult decisions, particularly relating to the location of future development allocations. In undertaking this daunting task, the council, councils should ensure that it has closely followed the requirements set out in the National Planning Policy Framework and the Planning Practice Guidance. Chapter 2 of the report comprises a review of national policy and guidance, including the presumption in favour of sustainable development, meeting the test of soundness, housing needs, constraints, deliverability, green belt and cross-boundary planning. Chapter 3 includes 10 recommendations for the preferred options stage, including the preparation of a number of documents, ensuring that evidence is proportionate, that the planning balance is clearly explained, and that soundness should be the key driver of the pace of the local plan work programme. Uh, the statistics from the Planning Inspectorate in Appendix D illustrate the slow progress with local plans across the country in the context of the proposed intervention by central government and the lead tables. Uh, Appendix A to the document provides a table which illustrates a potential approach to ensuring that all the areas of search are equally assessed 
and Appendices B and C provide guidance in relation to the housing trajectory and duty to cooperate, respectively. Also attached to the report are two documents prepared by Atlas, the advisory team for large applications. The first provides guidance on typical build-out rates for strategic sites, and the second provides advice on deliverability based on the experience of 11 different local plans at examination. It's hoped that the Council will find these documents useful over the coming months. Thank you, Mr Payne. Um, the, the, the actual piece is, is, is um, very comprehensive. It's um, 80 pages long, uh, including appendices. Um, and it is, uh, colleagues, it, it, it will absolutely be your um, um, reference point uh, as we continue to go through the process. So it's, it's very important that we are content with um, this paper. Uh, in a sense, it's, it's, it's repeating what uh, the MPPF and, and other relevant um, documents and guidelines indicate. Um, so there is a degree of, um, uh, of legality uh, about it, but uh, there are, it does include uh, the, uh, our own recommendations. So, um, colleagues, uh, uh, Councillor Barker. Um, Chairman, I think this is brilliant. It's a step-to-step -step guide to um, delivering a local plan, which I think is, is very good. And I think it's also very good as part of the evidence base, and I think that uh, as we tick things off, we should sort of, well, the officers tick things off, we should give ourselves a pat on the back. Councillor Dean spoke earlier about members and surprises, or maybe it was Councillor Lodge, I can't remember, but that sort of you get to a stage where members don't know what's going on. I think we should very much ensure that all members have sight of this document. Um, they may not want to do the other bits, they may not come to this meeting, but if they can be shown that th there is a document that we are going to work our way through and that we are going to, as far as possible, follow every step and leave no stone unturned, then I, I think that would be you know, very useful to them because um, there are a number of members who do not come along to council as often as they do and be, as some of us do and being asked to vote on something when you're not absolutely sure what you're voting on is not a healthy thing but somebody sort of reading this can actually see that there is a plan in place and you know, um, as we move forward we'll be able to attach a more sort of uh, accurate timescale to each of these actions and uh, move forward towards a, a, a plan that could be accepted by the inspector. Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I was going to say something similar because I did underline, and it's on page 79, and it's 3.5. Um, given the importance of this interim stage, it is recommended that a decision on which options, if any, to drop should be taken by full council. And, and I, I think it's very worrying to ask full council to take a decision on something they have had no part in um, or have no knowledge of, and I, and I think that would be the wrong thing to do. And I don't know how we would prevent that happening because like you said I mean there's only us here tonight there are no other members it's members of the public there are no actually members of this council so if they don't attend these meetings they don't know what's going on unless they go and they read through 237 pages of a document on their iPad which I think perhaps some people wouldn't do so I just want to know what safeguards we have to make sure that when they do take that vote they know exactly what they're voting for. No, absolutely right, and we fully endorse that, and it echoes uh, Councillor Dean's earlier point about a workshop. So, uh, Councillor Parry. 
you just might want to check your numbering. There's two 3.5s and two 3.19s, and I don't know what else. That's just to prove I've read it. Well, full marks. Uh, very good. Um, it's normally Sue that does uh, those corrections. Um, well, so I think we agree, and maybe we could ask officers to do this on our behalf. Um, the the cross-party uh, uh, planning policy working group have forwarded you uh, one of the key papers that it uh, reviewed last night, and, and do encourage that you that you read it. <laughs> it does include appendices, which you know if you're that short a time, then you'd have to go through those as well. But I, I absolutely agree with the comments already made. I think this is a warm-up to the workshop. Um, and it, it will be the criteria that we use. So, um, as we've said repeatedly at this meeting, at some point, tough decisions are going to have to be made. It would be really helpful if everybody understood on the basis on which those decisions are being made. Councillor Davis. Yeah, that, that was the point I was going to make. Firstly, it's great because it does set out the plan on the basis that there isn't a template that you can get off the shelf, which is one of the key things that was, that was said to us. And I think also it, it delivers the focus on the areas within the um, initial plan submission which were, which were sound and which the inspector commented on. And we shouldn't lose sight of those ones because as time passes, the ones that we were sound at that time, we have to keep reviewing every, every single part of it rather than thinking that we focus on the areas that specifically were, were raise questions on so it is useful and I do think it should have as, as, as wide an audience and as much ox oxygen as possible because it, it does set out how we're going about this process and, and it would speaking to the initial note that uh, the Councillor Dean said earlier around how we're doing it and visibility on how we're, how we're doing it this is exactly the sort of document that I think is, is extremely useful for people to, to understand to see where we are on, on those stages of the process and perhaps we could try, um, taking your point, that to, to get it to a, an even wider audience, um, to, to communicate some of this through the local media. Um, it would mean distilling down, obviously, because you're only going to have a bite-sized chunk. We, I don't think they'd publish 80-odd pages of it. But um, uh, So we'll have a crack at that, uh, I think, please, um, and uh, so that we could do some kind of uh, off the back of this meeting um, to put that into the domain, just to sort of keep people's interest and um, uh, recognition of what's going on. Okay. Councillor Lodge. Yes, I agree, agree with those, those earlier comments. It's a, a, a very, very good document. Um, but to reach the, the broader audience, we, we, need, we need a good summary. We need almost a two-page. Two it might be difficult, but, but something not much longer than that for, for a broader consumption would be good. Um, can, I, can I make my uh, the, the big point, the broadest point, and, and it's concerning really on, on economic development, which should be the, the foundation of that. Do we, are, are we going to get a proper economic development strategy as part of this process? So, um, yes, I think if you, if you look at the section on the development strategy report, the development strategy encompasses the main strands of that should be the housing strategy and the economic development strategy. And the crucial point is that those two strategies need to uh, complement each other and work together as a coherent development strategy overall. And there may be other sub-strategies, if you like, so looking at various aspects within that, um, but, but they would certainly be the two key parts. And um, as you'll be aware, the Council is, is um, commissioning various bits of work on the uh, economic evidence base as well, which will feed into that economic development strategy. So um, the, the employment land review is being updated, and there will no, no doubt be uh, a strategic aspect of the uh, that as well. 
So who will be doing that broad economic strategy? Is it, is it you, you're looking for evidence or are you going to pull it together in-house in the end? Well, ultimately, the strategy is the council's business. Um, but uh, as with, with all aspects of this work, it relies on, on robust evidence being fed into it. So the council will need to see what evidence it has, uh, whether it has sufficient evidence to pull the strategy together, um, and then to um, use that accordingly. But, but if behind your question is that you want to be reassured uh, that as part of the plan there is sufficient, uh, you, know, you, you, you know, there is a plan around economic development that we've allocated sufficient uh, uh, acreage uh, for that purpose, then I think, yeah, I'm sure this committee is fully supportive of that. Thinking though, is that, is that, is that also a part of a, a political process for a member of the administration to be put one, one, one of your portfolio holders possibly should be taking that broad overview as well, which would probably be evidence feeding into uh, to officers. Uh, yes, and I think, uh, I think to be fair, that is, that is, that is going on. Um, but uh, as it says in this report, you, you know, a bit like infrastructure, that, that we, we will be consulting with experts on what, what the economic um, inclusion should look like. Um, this committee, the council, will all have to be reassured about that. Um, and... Um, you know whether, whether we had enough in the in the last plan. I think I think I think we did, but but certainly I, I want to see would want to see transparently that there's sufficient uh, focus on economic development within within this plan. But uh, Councillor Mills it's, uh, is the lead member, um, and uh, as part of Councillor Redfern's portfolio, so very much so. Yeah. Councillor Lachlan, and then Councillor Dean. Thank you. Well, I'm going on to page 80, um, the Green Belt, uh, and it says it should also set out key cross-boundary planning issues and consider whether there are any strategic matters which would constitute the exceptional circumstances necessary to release Green Belt. Does that mean a neighbouring authority, uh, if they had to cross boundaries to come into our, come into Uttlesford, that we would release Green Belt land to them, because I, that's a bit um, misleading. Well, I think it's a bit misleading. I'm, I find that quite worrying because, you know, we've always been um, very protective of our green, but I'm always saying this, and we kind of think it's sacrosanct, really. And I wouldn't like some sort of raid across the border, and cowboys coming in and sort of shooting up our land, if you like. So that, <laughs> that's just a bit of a worry. Yeah. Councillor Barker? Every district in preparing its plan needs to do a green belt review if they have any green belt. And as you're aware, we have a small amount of green belt south of the A1060 and up through Birch Hanger and Stansted. Um, green belt is variable in quality, and there is good green belt and not quite so important green belt. And in looking at green belt, district councils have to assess whether they feel that um, some green belt is perhaps not quite as important as others. For us, this is a bit of a strange one because we've only got 5% green build. So we've got 95% green fields. So we are more inclined at this moment in time to look at green fields rather than green belt. If in our duty to cooperate meetings with our strategic housing market area partners, it transpires that Epping Forest cannot find enough space to accommodate the 520 or so houses a year that it is required to deliver, 
It can ask neighbouring authorities to see if they can assist. However, they would have to justify that they have been through the hoops, backwards and forwards, that they have done a Greenbelt assessment, that they have... Evidently, they don't want to build on Epping Forest, but there are other areas of land within Epping which may be in the Greenbelt, which may be within an existing urban settlement, even though that's in the Green Belt, and they will have to robustly assess all their land, including all their Green Belt. Um, if they don't do that, and they say, we just can't possibly build them, then the inspector would not accept that as a reasonable outcome. However, if at the end of the day, Epping Forest, because that's the only one with the issue, Epping Forest said, we really can't. We've, we've looked at all possibilities. Our green belt is all class one green belt. It's all wonderful. Please, 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 we need some help. We would then look to allocate in an appropriate place for us. Now, it's highly unlikely that would be within our green belt. There's no reason you should put them in white roading just because Abyss roading can't take them. That would be ridiculous. We would be looking, if we had to add housing numbers to our numbers, we would still be looking at our site assessments to say. So it wouldn't be displacing their green belt to our green belt, it would be displacing their green belt to somewhere appropriate in Uttlesford. So no, 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 we wouldn't give up our green belt just because they won't give up their green belt. But we haven't got to that stage yet and their green belt review, we're not going to have an outcome until March next year so we're not going to know how we're moving forwards on that. I suspect at the end of the day that Epping Forest may well find enough space for its housing because if it hasn't left, if it hasn't looked under every stone and every corner to find that land, then the government will not find its place sound. Yeah. Well, if we've only got 5%, all the more reason to protect it, then I would have thought. <laughs> I think so. Councillor Dean. I, was, <clears throat> I wasn't going to speak about Greenbelt, but I mean, looking at page 74, paragraph 226, I think it is, um, you know, it's got five purposes for green belt, and it seems to me that it's only right that we should check something that was set in the 1980s, I think, to see whether the, those tests about unrest, uh, checking unrestricted sprawl and safeguarding the countryside from encroachment and to assist in urban regeneration, that, that they actually still apply because circumstances do change over the decades and uh, I, I've got an open mind at the moment but I think it's right that we go through the exercise of, as, as, we, did in, as we did in Stansted when we re only last year or the year before gave permission in what is currently green belt on the basis that it didn't serve it didn't serve enough purpose not to have a particular planning permission given so it's, it's all about balancing the pros and cons of changing something that's been in place for 30 years, not wholesale necessarily, but tweaking here and tweaking there. Um, so we'll, we'll see what comes out of that. I'd like, I'm actually on the same page. My, my point was a bit philosophical, really. It's, um, it's to do with the paragraph that immediately precedes Greenbelt on page 74, which is headed deliverability. And it's, <clears throat> it says there is a difficult balance to be struck, struck between ensuring that the infrastructure is provided to support development and ensuring that the demands of the landowner and developer are not set so high, sorry, the demands on the landowner and developer are not set so high as to make the land unattractive for them to develop. 
and I always struggle with this one because if you you know you can read into that that well if the um, if, if it's expensive to, to develop that site and, and the landowner wants to w walk away with umpteen million pounds uh, and feels he's entitled to it, then the taxpayer should stump up the bill to uh, make up the difference. And, and, and there's something wrong with that uh, policy that uh, you know, we're essentially subsidising landowners, potentially, who think they're entitled to a particular amount of income from selling their land in order to make something happen. Uh, and I know this happens in, in, you know, in, in planning applications as well, where they come back and they whinge and say, oh, we can't afford any affordable housing. Can we be let off the hook? And, and you know, here we're dealing with the strategic stage of it, and I, I just think that we need to t take care on that, that you know, uh, a decision really to be really needs to be made as to whether there's any point allocating a site if that's the line they're taking and choose somewhere else rather than, rather than burdening the taxpayer with something that can be delivered elsewhere uh, more effectively. So I'm not expecting an answer on that unless somebody's got uh, a way of dealing with it. Well, well, I'll have a stab and Councillor uh, uh, Barker's put up her hand. I, I mean, there's quite a lot of guidance on this and, and officers may wish to comment later. Um, in terms of, it obviously depends on size uh, of the development. Um, but um, I think the point that this is making is that um, there is no point in asking for something uh, beyond the reasonable. In other words, if you're asking for something that uh, is so excessively expensive that uh, it would derail the whole project. Uh, but that, that, there is guidance around that as well. Otherwise, uh, it is extremely important uh, that this is a whole development. And this is not just about making a lot of money out of building houses. I mean, there is, there is an obligation laid out quite clearly uh, that the infrastructure, the, the, the facilities and, and, and schools and all the things that you're very familiar with through currently 106, could be SIL arrangements, uh, are part of the process. That includes affordable housing as well. So it is what is proportional uh, to the development and um, I know uh, those on the planning committee will be very aware of this because they look at this uh, at every planning meeting in terms of what is reasonable to every development and we would want to very much see that through. Um, Sue, did you want to add to that? Yes, it's just really as um, consultants work through and look at the larger scale developments of 1,000 houses plus, that will be part of the discussion, whether it is deliverable and whatever. And, we all know there are sort of various levels of, of what makes up a, a package of 500 houses. You know, there is the cost of the land, the cost of building the houses and putting in services, the profit, and the, and the bolt-ons, whether it's schools, affordable housing, or anything else. And basically, the variable at the end of the day is the land. So, you know, it, it all comes down, down to that. And, you know, if there are developers who are putting things forward that just don't stack up, then the officers will not assess them as being suitable and deliverable. Um, we will have had, as you're aware, we have had 400 or more um, sites put forward in our call for sites, which will be made public next week. Um, there are going to be sites for many, many thousands of houses, many more than we need. And it is the officers' job to assess those sites and see which are suitable and which are deliverable, both in terms of timescales and in terms of what comes with them as a package. Because, no, we are not going to accept a whole load of houses there with no infrastructure and no schools, no upgrades to the sewage systems. It's not going to work. That's not what we want for our district. 
And that was certainly a, a, one of the points of contention around the first plan, and I was very encouraged uh, when I learnt that South Cams um, have arranged through their new development, Water Beach. The lessons they learnt in Camborne, where quite a few of the facilities came late on, including the secondary school, that they've been able to turn that process round so they'll be front-ended uh, to the Water Beach development. Um, and so, you know, I think we need to learn lessons from there and other places in terms of how, how do you put, how do you front-end it. I mean, the first thing on site is not to build the school before you even build a house, obviously, but there is a proportion in terms of how, how the development and how the infrastructure comes as the, as the housing is built, and uh, that will be a key part of, uh, of the outcome. Officers, do you want to um, comment at all in terms of what the, the, um, the guidance and the regulation is around um, contribution? Well, I think it's just to, to emphasise as this, the second point in that same box talks about testing, and I think that's where uh, the council will need to, to probe um, the, the, uh, any figures and uh, suggestions that the developers might come, come out with. And um, to, um, to use the plan, um, I mean, uh, this is in, a, in other ways, this is, uh, a good reason why you have a plan is because you can start to discuss some of these matters early on before you get to planning applications and you've got more chance in my view of uh, getting a favourable um, outcome if you um, ask the developers at this early stage before they, uh, they've got any certainty of um, a site allocation you can ask them what they're prepared to put on the table and then you hold it to them further down the line uh, you hold, hold them to it. Sorry, further further down the line. So, so, um, so I think that you know that should should give um, the council some reassurance that um, you know planning applications are going to be delivered um, in accordance with you know infrastructure that's been promised, all the goodies that have been promised early on. Um, keep a close eye out for that. Yeah, I, I can see from that point of view that if we are here, essentially preempting or avoiding being taken to the clean as at a too late date. Uh, in other words, it doesn't get in the plan. If it's not deliverable, then that's fine, rather than sticking something in the plan and then being, once you've started off down the track, then being held to ransom because we hadn't spotted that it, they were going to come pleading poverty at a later date, then, then that's the way to... That, that, that's the appropriate way to, to deal with it. So, that, yeah, okay, that's fine. Thank you. I, my other question was, it, it, it was regarding recommendation five, ensuring that evidence is appropriate. And maybe this is a topic that, that we ought to rehearse, not tonight, or, or have some examples, because what it's talking about is assembling evidence that is needed at this stage for the local plan, the strategic level, as opposed to the more detailed stuff that would be need, needed to be known at the planning application stage. And, and I'm not asking you to produce a list that might be in one category and a list that might be in the other category tonight, but I think it's probably something that not only uh, should members of the council give some thought to, but maybe it's something, again, that we can um, make, make public so that people can understand that there is a distinction, um, members of the public can understand there's a distinction between the stage that we're dealing with now and the sort of lack of nitty-gritty that we require now as opposed to the nitty-gritty that one would want to be debating and raising at a planning application stage because it, uh, well, otherwise we, we, we risk being inundated with minutiae which aren't appropriate at the moment. 
from whatever direction that might come internally or externally. Do you want a response to that? I mean, we take your point. Well, I, I, unless, no, I'm, I don't think I want to. I'm making a point, I yeah. think, which no, I think which, uh, which, ought to be thought yeah. about, for instance, sure. as part of our workshops or as part of um, other sort of life communications or as appropriate at the time. Okay, thank you. Councillor Lodge? Yes, thank you. Uh, Nitty-gritty has just been mentioned, and in the recommendations we actually get down to it, particularly I think recommendation one on from really from 3.3 to the twin 3.5s, uh, we're talking about doing a further sieving job, or a sieving job. Um, this, is, this is pretty important. I was wondering what the timescales were that, would be for that, whether we would get interim feedback on that when this committee may have its first document to say that these sites have definitely been rejected and here are the reasons. Just wondered what the timescales were and whether there's going to be enough feedback for this uh, group before it then goes to full council. Because as I said, that really is getting down to the nitty gritty now. Direct question, direct answer. Um, as direct as possible. Um, one of the things that we've been looking at is, is the timing going forward. It's quite clear that the currently published local development scheme, the timetable, isn't, isn't exactly how we're going to be able to do it. Mr Payne has already said that we're looking to get to the uh, draft consultation, draft local plan consultation in autumn next year. But to get there, there's an awful lot of work to do. So, um, yes, we have... Uh, looked at when the various studies are going to come in but at the moment we're thinking that April May time we will need to be concluding the sieving document so having a, something that says well these, docu these sites have been sieved out for XYZ reason and these sites are still in now to get to that you know we will have um, the consultation the, the report of reps from the consultation that's just about to close probably late January and that will start to give a flavour to you of what the public think. There won't be an officer comment in relation to that. But then after that we will need to start saying do we want to do a new settlement because if the answer is yes or no that then has a range of other responses depending on, on the answer. If the Greenbelt Review, our Greenbelt Review stage 2 comes in at about the end of February then that will feed in and start to to sieve out or, or not sites. So over the next six months until April, May, there's going to be a lot of those sort of documents. Not that they necessarily conclude anything, but you'll be able to start to see when you piece them together where which sites are staying and which sites are going out and for, that, and for those reasons. And the same, you know, the highway consultants that I'll come on to in the, ne the next paper that we're... Um, technically today we have just appointed, so, so that's why it's sort of in the process. But... Um, uh, will feed into that process. The, we're about to appoint some viability consultants, picking up on Councillor Dean's point, that we'll look in more detail about the submissions to try and understand them and which sites are definitely deliverable. So all that work will come out over the next six months and over that, at the end of that, we'll have a document, April, May time, five, six months, uh, we'll have a document which, which sieves out a number of sites for these reasons and that's what we want to take to full council to get that buy-in of the, the strategy, are we going for new settlement or not and depending on the answer, which, which sites are left in and out. So it's an iterative process throughout that time and you will get that iterative process every meeting to, under, to see it or understand it all, what you won't get is at the end of each document, and this means this for this site, because that will, that will have that as a, a collective at the end, I, I, should, I think. Um, but we need to take, um, a number of points earlier, we need to take other members on that journey too, 
because it's a journey over the, you know during that time period and if you're not up to date with what's what's coming from all the different evidence bases you will have lost it by the time you get to that final document so we will need to have a number of workshops throughout that period to try and engage and at least so everyone understands how we got to that that to that end result that's sort of the timing we're looking at at the moment but we need to the other thing we need to do is set that down in another paper um, probably December January that explains that in more detail and updates the local development scheme um, once Mr Fox has got in and understood and is happy with that timing and, and, and the resources we have available. But the sieving process won't, won't, won't make the new settlement decision for us. Well, it could. Just theoretically, if all of the, all of the new settlement sites were sieved out, it could. But we're going to have to make that decision, and as I said, before August. Uh, how and when do we do that? Well, that will need to be early in that time period. So, for example, um, I think it, it does... I think this... Mr Payne wrote the paper, but I think the idea is that the, the, these areas of search and the various strategies are all part of that sieving process you know, of the evidence coming forward. So, for example, if we have nine areas of search of a new settlement and the detailed viability work demonstrates that none of them are deliverable, that probably, you know, that's quite an important aspect, isn't it? So that will come out of that sieving process, whether you know, the viability, the, the flood zones, the green belt, all those things together will have an impact on that strategy as well as the, the site characteristics themselves. So it's all part of that same sieving process. So early on in that process, we will hopefully bring information to you that says, you know, if you wanted to go down this new settlement route, there are sites that are viable, or they're not, you know, and, and that's an early decision because once you've made that decision, and at one level it is, it is a, you know, a political decision with a small p, you know, it's a decision, it's, a, it's not black and white as Councillor um, Rolf said earlier, it's, it's, you know, there is a judgment there in terms of, you know, there are potentially options and this is where we go forward. But once some of those decisions are made, that helps the rest of the sieving out process. It will become clearer to me, if not to you. But, but sieving is taking things out we then got to go on and put things in. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say, I mean, this, um, in many ways, I think has been observed, this, this process is, um, it's, it's similar to the process that East Hertfordshire went through um, a couple of years ago. And in a similar way, the, as, as I think members will all be aware, the uh, the, 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 the five high-level criteria that we discussed back in July that generated the areas of search um, were, were high-level and they generated a loss of areas of search because at that stage we didn't feel comfortable in ruling out too much. But, um, and I think if you look at the, the diagram, the original diagram of the areas of search, you can see the amount of land that's actually needed is quite small compared with all those areas of search. So in order to, um, we were talking about proportion as evidence base, in order to make sure that the council isn't overwhelmed by detail, it's important to knock out some of them where there is clear evidence, and that could come from any one of the studies that are going on, um, knock out some of them, but 
I would, I, my advice would be to be quite careful before knocking out any of them, particularly if they're being promoted by developers because they will come back and challenge them and you've got to be pretty sure that you've got a very good reason for knocking them out. So, um, so I, you know, I, who, who knows? I mean, none of them might drop out or you might have half, um, but, um, but, you know, it's a pragmatic way forward and my advice would be don't drop them out unless you're pretty sure that there's very good evidence at that stage. So, but it should just make the next stage beyond that that much easier and uh, enable you to focus in more effectively. Okay, thanks. Councillor Mills, then Councillor Barker, and then we'll try and wrap this uh, up. Um, um, we talked a little bit about timeline. Um, I'm a little bit like Councillor Dean. I don't have circles on the wall, but I do like to see a bar chart or something. Presumably there's some sort of critical path bar chart or analysis whereby you're employing consultants expecting results and that will feed in. Um, that type of information would really be helpful to us to understand what's going to happen when because people are asking us and I know, you know, I understand the difficulty of it because I understand that things can take longer but it would really help us to be able to say to people, right, that decision dictates to that, that means that happens then and that would really help. Um, I appreciate it also pins you down. Uh, which is the reason perhaps why we don't have it quite in the detail we would like. But if we had some sort of, even if it's a month by month, when we expect things, what we're going to do with it when we get it, then it would be a great help. Yeah, that's a perfectly reasonable request, so we'll try and make that happen. Councillor Barker. Yeah, I just wanted to respond to Councillor Lodge. Um, one of the things, of course, that may well happen is that within those areas of search, that land is not promoted. And if land is not promoted... Or, or what is being promoted, um, as, you're, as you're aware, whether it's a small new settlement, whether it's urban extensions, there are sort of sizes. You know, if you want a new secondary school, it's like sort of five, six, seven thousand. If you want a new junior school, it's 800. Well, somebody just promoting a field with 300 houses in it doesn't do anything for anybody. And there may be, you know, as ridiculous as that sounds, there may be areas within those areas of search where actually every farmer doesn't want to give up his fields. You know, he wants to farm and he wants his children to farm for the generations. And, or, 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 if you like, a group of people haven't got their act together. So it, it, it is, you know, there, that will be a very initial first sieve. If there's no sensible land coming forward in those areas, or there's only a very small bit that's not connected particularly, then of course those will drop out fairly speedily, unless... You know, we are desperate, and we're not going to be desperate because we have got a lot of, lot of people putting up land. Last comment, Councillor Davis. Just, it's a really a quickie. Um, I know that the, the question had been made in a couple of meetings prior around London and their ability, London's ability to meet need or potentially unmet need, um, or as, as with them having a large sphere of influence across the, the southeast, I know that the, in, the inspector said around London was that um, pending wider consideration, I'm not convinced that it can bear much weight in assessing the OAN for Uttlesford. But in light of obviously announcements this week, how do we look to bring that potential unmet need from such a, a large area? And talking about the government, talking about the number of houses that are going to be built to the 400k, I think the Chancellor was in Essex today talking about it. Um, how do we look to build that in? And do we need some sort of protectionism around how we don't suddenly find something as a result of uh, a large metropolitan area needing to, to find that unmet need somewhere else within, within the vicinity? Um, 
well, I can start off from Councillor Barkin, um, unless you prefer to do it. Um, it's an excellent point, and it's one of those unknowns at the moment. In the duty to cooperate report that I'll cover later, we talk about, or I talk about, the, the work that um, I'm doing through the East of England Strategic Planning Officers Group, or SPLOG it's called, and, and then the work with the Grace London Authority. Um, so I've got regular meetings that we go talking with the whole of the wider South East, 152 councils, get them to work together, um, and looking at the relationship of London and London's housing needs. Councillor Barker and I attended meetings in Cambridge, we've been to London, we've got another one coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So those discussions are going on as a mayor election next year, and there won't be any decisions until after, after then, but there's a lot of work looking at um, can we do joint evidence base work, looking at housing population numbers. London and, our, and we use different housing numbers, so they don't dovetail quite nicely so you've got different assumptions there so there's a lot of, an awful lot of work going on um, we've no idea on the time scale of when anything might come out of that um, in accordance with our timetable we'll probably um, not be able to take anything into account just because of that ongoing work because nothing is sort of in a funny situation because of the mayor election and then this, what happens after that but uh, the London plan is supposed to be 2017, 18, 19, work, you know, key work on it, um, which may be, hopefully, after um, we've gone through our processes, but we just have, we, it's an important one to continue to watch, certainly. Final point. I forgot to mention we do duty to cooperate with London as well and the wider South East, um, and I have been to a number of meetings, and certainly at one of those meetings um, it was pointed out um, that in their current plan, London is supposed to deliver 32,000 houses a year. It has only been delivering at a rate of 24,000. So setting it a target of 40,000, 50,000, um, you know, we could, they may set themselves that target, but actually whether they can deliver it or not. But we did have, on a political basis, we did have the Deputy Mayor of London saying that they could deliver within their boundaries. So we'll watch this space. Good. So the exam question for agenda item five is that the local plan, uh, the, the local plan preferred options, guidelines and recommendations, together with Atlas guidance on deliverability, be noted, be understood. Uh, I'm adding bits now, but uh, and be comprehensively relearnt night after night. Um, that is the recommendation. Those in favour. Unanimous. Thank you very much indeed. And some actions around consultation. I just did look in my diary and we put in a, an extra member workshop in January to look at uh, budgets and finance, which is quite right in the cycle. Uh, the, the, the one after that is March the 10th. So if there's a sort of nod around the table that that's around on the local plan, and I sense it should be, then we'll make that happen. And we can put that in the minutes as well. Okay, agenda item six is evidence-based review and work programme. Mr Taylor, some of this ground, of course, we've uh, been discussing. So. Yes, yes, we have, Chair, and we've covered quite a lot of this. Um, this is an update on uh, four key pieces of work um, following the, the previous report in February and July, just keeping up date of what's happened and uh, the, the briefs that we've attached to them. Um, so just in terms of um, an update, when I find my, um, sorry, too many screens up. Um, the Employment Land Review, um, we have now appointed ACOM 
that, that's been signed off yesterday and, and has been issued um, to, to, do, to do that work. Um, in relation to highways and transportation, we have appointed White Young Green um, and they have started their work and there's an inception meeting next week or the week after to, to kick that off in a bit more, more detail. Um, the, so that's an update you know, since this paper was, was written, so it's moving quite, quite quickly in relation to that. Um, the strategic flood risk assessment, that should be uh, coming to the working group in, in January um, following uh, consultation with the statutory bodies in relation to that. Um, and the Green Belt Review, that's, that's commenced um, with Arup, um, with as a, a workshop for um, our partner councils um, to ensure we're engaging with them uh, next Friday. And uh, we should have the, uh, the, the stage one of that review to the December working group um, looking at, that won't be the difficult one, that will be the March one, but the, the, the December one looking at the, the parcels that they're going to assess and the methodology that they're going to use, which will have been consulted on by that point. So just an update which we'll keep bringing to you to make sure you're aware of the, the various uh, evidence-based documents that have been commissioned and the stages they've got to. Councillor Barker. Um, could I just note that Appendix 3 is empty, which was the scope of the strategic drug risk assessment. So could that be added, please, for completeness? Not on my copy or on Councillor Rolf's printed copy. Um, I, I just have a blank page, 145. Chairman, uh, sorry, look later. 156, because um, it's, it is out of order, so apologies for that, it's because it was a PDF document. So um, I'm on 157 on the electronic version, and it's there. It's because it was a PDF version, all the others were Word, and it is obviously that's where it's been slotted in. So it's out of order, but it, it should Thank be you. there. Okay, Councillor Dean. On uh, page uh, 151, uh, we've been talking about time li timelines in the, in the last item. I was a bit unnerved by the um, word ideally on the last item. Receipt of final report ideally by February 2016. That sounds a bit kind of um, weak. I think it depends on the, the iterative process that Mr Payne was talking about. Um, this is the highways one, isn't it? Greenbelt. Oh, Greenbelt, sorry. Um, sorry. Yeah, well, this was... I'm oh, sorry, in that case. Um, ideally, yes, um, but the submissions demonstrate that they could meet it by the end of February, beginning of March. So that's what we're working on. Um, so we'll, we had the tender process. We had uh, four submissions and two interviews, and they demonstrated how they were going to meet that. So and actually, it's fine in terms of our process because it ties in with Epping Forest's Greenbelt Review coming in in March time, and this should be uh, late February, early March, so it, it ties in quite nicely. I, I'm just making a general point that if you want something by a certain day, you don't say, ideally we'd like it, though I then please, if at all possible, <laughs> you, you actually tell them what you want. This, um, is a, this is a very tight time scale, which is why we said ideally, but they demonstrate so. To make sure that somebody would take the job up. It's a, it's a critical path that we need to look at. Right. I think okay. I'd make the point that... Um, uh, we, we know that um, as part of this P3 
piece of work, the consultants will need to undertake a number of um, site visits, or not site visits, but field trips to various parcels of Greenbelt land. So there's quite a lot of quite a lot of traipsing around fields in welly boots, I think. Um, and I suppose the question mark at the time we wrote the brief was how long that process would take. So uh, from ex- and the weather. So from experience, um, you know, it can it can take a while. But they've advised us of what they can achieve. So we'd expect them to keep to that. Okay, thanks. And, and the comments earlier about uh, employment land, uh, well made. Um, we, we've got the consultant in place there, and, and you've got the answer to the um, highway consultant, a key part that uh, wasn't part of the last uh, process. So, unless if there aren't any more questions, um, we're just asked to note the officer update. Um, those in favour of noting that? Unanimous, thank you. Item 7, Economic Evidence, Uttlesford Stansted Scenario, Summary Paper and Spreadsheet. Um, The author was Jeremy Pine. I don't see him in the room, so uh, Mr. Taylor is taking this. So Mr. Taylor will set the context, and I'll ask Mr. Young and then Mr. MacDonald to speak for, I think, three minutes, is it? Okay, Mr. Taylor. Thank you, Chairman. Um, This builds on the previous report that you had uh, a few months ago, September, which was the economic evidence to support the the housing need, the strategic housing market assessment, prepared by Hardesty-Jones, who have done a number of pieces of work. So as an addition to that, uh, or as part of that work, they looked um, at various growth scenarios at Stansted, um, looking at the timing of when, when different um, growth scenarios might come in. And so it's not two scenarios, it's, it's looking at the timing of when different uh, passenger numbers and therefore um, employment requirements will come through. Um, what we've got, what's important to do when we're looking at this is, is ensure the evidence base is as wide as possible, taking into account potential scenarios, so that when we start narrowing things down, we've got sufficient evidence um, in, on which to base our decisions. So as a as an example, if we remember we looked at and we assessed a higher level of housing requirement than our needs, up to 750, so that we'd um, appraised a, a, a wider, a higher number of housing so that we had a range of evidence base that could support us in our decision making. So it's just the same with um, employment um, and potential jobs. We need to know different scenarios so that when we're looking at allocating land, when we're looking at the transport implications, we, we, we take into account the full breadth of potential that might happen. So um, this is a, an, an additional piece of work that's been done to, to take um, a bit further the work that was done in relation to housing market assessment. Um, so it's based on uh, the assumptions by Manchester Airport Group through their sustainable development plan of uh, growth assumptions. So um, 35 million by 2030 and then future growth after that. Um, we're quite well aware that growth over 35 million passengers per annum doesn't have planning permission, quite well aware of that. Um, but similarly with the uh, highways work, we have to test different different assumptions and potential. So all the work that um, we're doing collectively with our, the wider partner councils in terms of highways is looking at 35 million passengers per annum, 45 million passengers per annum, in terms of um, trying to understand what potential growth scenarios would, would, would have an impact and therefore what mitigation might be required or what uh, different allocation might be required. So it's sort of ensuring we have all the necessary information so that when we come to make those decisions, um, we don't say, oh dear, we need to go right back to the start and, and get information again. So it's not 
predicating your decisions. Um, it, I know it's a sensitive area, but it's uh, making sure that when we, you know, when we're doing the evidence base, we're taking as broad um, an assumption as possible on potential. So this is looking at um, job growth number. So uh, on page 167, paragraph 1.3, the table there looks at. Um, on the left-hand side, the East of England forecasting models. These are the um, assumptions of, of, of growth um, and job development within the, the wider East of England. And within that, as the paper says, and, and the previous document says, there is an assumption for some growth in relation to, to Stansted. On the right-hand side, in the, sort of the grey columns, are uh, an extrapolation of increased growth at Stansted. We are seeing huge growth at Stansted Airport at the moment, um, higher than the assumptions that have been based in the East of England forecasting model, up 22,500 passengers per annum at the moment. So it's a much higher trajectory of growth than has been assumed previously. So we are seeing this change now, so it's right that we understand that in terms of what that might do for the evidence base. So what that does is that, that produces in a, in a totality a, a, a different number of jobs per annum a difference from 1,590 to 1,895 based on the sort of historic assumptions and assumptions based on um, Manchester Airport Group's growth, which then enables us to test um, the highways based on that, enables us to, to look at the amount of uh, employment land that we might need to allocate. You'll see that within the paper the job numbers have been distributed across the four districts of the housing market area um, and it includes distribution outside that as well um, that was quite an important part of the, uh, the, the economic work they did previously looking at you know, the, the amount of it, uh, commuting from North London for example and, and the amount of how that might change over time um, and so you know, we don't expect that all the, the employment growth will be within, um, within Uttlesford as a result of uh, growth at, at, at Stansted. We, we know that there are companies associated with Stansted that are in, in different areas. So this is an additional piece of work that helps us to understand in a bit more some of the, the scenarios um, based on Stansted growth. Um, so it just fits in there as part of um, our new evidence base and just goes a bit further than the economic report um, that was published in July. Thank you. Mr Young. Thank you. One very quick point about Stansted is growing, but it's not growing very fast. It's in fact the only major airport in the UK that is not yet back to 2007 levels and is still a year, about a year away from achieving it. So we need to put that into context. Thank you. I'm asking that this report be withdrawn and a revised version prepared. The reason for doing so is that it significantly overstates the likely employment growth at Stansted Airport. The report before you is a summary of, the, of a more detailed report prepared by the consultants to which I will need to refer, although I appreciate it is not in your papers. Basically, it appears that the consultants prepared an interim report and were then asked to revise it to take into account the prospect of passenger growth at the airport, getting to 45 million by 2033. The consultants state that they were not asked to test the validity of this figure but they assumed that this level of growth would lead to an extra 10,000 jobs at the airport. The figures of 45 million passengers and 10,000 jobs 
are taken from a report produced earlier this year by MAG, the airport's owners. These figures were not a forecast nor a prediction. They were simply used to show a possible scenario indicating how airport growth might affect the local economy. The figure of 45 million passengers was used as an illustration of what might happen if the airport achieved maximum use of a single runway. However, official forecasts of airport growth are available. These are produced regularly by the Department for Transport and more recently by the Airports Commission. These show passenger figures at Stansted of about 27 million in 2033, an increase over the present number of about 5 million, rather than 23 million. Turning now to job growth, airports and airlines are notorious for optimistic projections. In this case, it assumes a doubling of passenger traffic would lead to almost a doubling of employee numbers. Actually, BAA, the previous owners, in their last planning application, did some similar calculations. But they predicted a growth rate at about half of these rates. About half. If you substitute the government's projected passenger numbers and include a realistic growth rate, the figure of an extra 10,000 jobs reduces to about 1,000, of whom about 150 would be Uttlesford residents. Unfortunately, correcting this error is not as easy as simply deducting 9,000 from the figures. As the consultants point out, job growth at Stansted would actually cause reductions in other parts of the SMAR area. A full revision of the assessment is needed, since this, since this could have a very significant effect on the calculation of the housing requirements of the area. Thank you. Thank you. Mr MacDonald. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ken MacDonald. I'm a resident of Stansted Mount Fitchett. Uh, I've asked to speak because I care about this area and because I would not want Uttersford District Council to sleepwalk into another disastrous examination in public. I have reviewed in some detail, and it took a long while, the West Essex and East Hertfordshire Strategic Housing Market Assessment, or SMAR, and I have a number of areas of concern regarding its robustness and its conclusion that Uttersford should plan to build 568 houses per annum. The Schmar is a key element of this planning process, but I believe it is not at all robust and is likely to come under attack at the examination in public, not least for the fact that it appears not to have been subjected to any meaningful review by this working group and has not been consulted upon. One of my specific concerns is the double counting and overstatement of Stansted Airport's likely influence on jobs and future housing need. The Hardesty-Jones figures that you've been invited this evening to note and adopt as part of the local plan seem to be the main source of this overstatement. It seems to be the primary justification for the blanket 20% uplift that's been applied in the Schmar to arrive at the figure of 568. I wholeheartedly support the concerns that Mike Young has just expressed. I echo his call for this policy working group not to simply rubber stamp the Hardesty Jones report but to challenge it and refer it back. Once you have had an opportunity to properly consider it, I'm fairly sure that you'll see that it is unfounded, unreasonable and gives rise to a completely unnecessary boost to the Schmar's housing need projection.
My allocated three minutes is insufficient to outline all the areas of concern about the Shema, but I do ask that you consider the Shema alongside my critique. I've already sent copies to Howard Rolfe, John Lodge and Alan Dean, and I've sent additional copies here if anybody would like one. I probably just have time to mention two of the more straightforward areas that concern me in the Shema, both of which seem to require further work and consideration. Firstly, the Shema, the Shema lacks evidence and has a great lack of audit trail for its calculations, and that lack makes it far from easy to follow. This aspect, and the fact that it's not been consulted upon, is unlikely to impress the inspector. Secondly, the Shema covers four districts, but concludes by splitting the overall housing need between those four districts, requiring Uttlesford to increase its housing stock by no less than, I repeat it, 37%. 37%, that's between what it is today and what it will be at the end of this plan period. Whilst the other districts <coughs> are being asked to grow much less, between 16% and 28%. There appears to be no explanation for this disparity in the Shema, so I fail to see how any serious reviewer could regard the recommendation as sound. Thank you. Could you just turn the mic off? Well, thank you very much. Um, I'll make some comments, uh, then I'll ask uh, is it Mr Taylor who will respond, uh, and then open it up to the committee. Um, the, the, the Shema was put together uh, by um, uh, recognised experts who had been commissioned by the four uh, councils, uh, digested by the four councils. The, the Shema figure has actually been considered by uh, this committee. Um, it is I'm not, I don't think anywhere are Shema figures consulted upon because of the nature of the calculation. Um, and uh, I would remind you that when this point was raised with the last inspector, uh, that in actual fact uh, the, that inspector put the number up. So uh, I, you know, I think we've got to be slightly careful about what we wish for here. Uh, the last inspector, if you remember, talked about a figure of 580. So uh, the inspector seems to chime pretty much with the schmar, which, as I say, has been put together by a panel of experts. Um, turning to uh, Mr Young's point, I don't want to get into a trade of... Uh, possible numbers it stands to because I'm not sure any of us are quite expert enough for that but uh, what, what we do the, the, the facts that we know is that um, and I have to seek qualification of the first facts in terms of where BAA were before uh, they started to demise I think it was around 23 wasn't it they got to 24 they went from 24 down to 17 the current rolling total uh, is 22.2 millions um, and um, whether they do it or not, um, MAG think they'll get to 25 at some point in 2016. Now, as I say, that's speculation, so we won't take that any further. But they have gone from 17 to 22. Uh, we know that they have outlined permission to go from 25 to 35. It's, it's, it's about the detail, not about the principle. Uh, and we all, with some certainty, know that they'll come in with an application either during the course of uh, this um, cycle uh, of the Council or certainly in the first year of the next one. It'll be within five years' time that they'll come to apply for 35 to 45. We don't know, obviously, what the outcome of that planning application would be. So, my understanding of the Schmar figures is that they took it at 35 millions, uh, which would seem to me to be a perfectly legitimate point because. No, they took it at 35. 
35 or 45. Um. <laughs> they, they, if you like, they took it. There's, there's a, an assumption they're looking at, at both because the, the 35 is at, at 20, 2030, and then they've ex they continued to, you know, up to 2033 for the final few years of the plan period. So, in terms of their number, the bulk of the period is at, is at 35 millions. Um, so in any case, it's not, uh, that, that was not the only consideration in terms of the numbers. So, uh, you know, I, I think we'd be very, I don't see any need to redo a piece of work that has been undertaken by commissioned experts and, and fully supported by three other councils. And um, uh, Stansted Airport uh, will, uh, will continue to grow, uh, maybe in lumps, uh, dependent obviously on the economic condition of the country. If there was a recession, obviously those numbers wouldn't continue, but they are on a fairly clear path at the moment and have continued to do so that, uh, on, been on that path since MAD came. But that actually is not entirely the point. As I said, I don't want to trade numbers because I don't think any of us are quite expert to predict where they're going to be at what point in the future. I think the key point uh, is that we have got to take account of employment at Stansted, the currently 10,000 uh, employees, um, and that number will increase, and that has been taken into account in the Schmar. But I'll ask Mr Taylor to pass comment and then open it up to others. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Chairman, I think that the key point is that we have seen a huge amount of growth at Stansted, which is above the established East England forecasting model baseline. So it would be wrong of us to base our employment projections on something that we know to be out of date because of the, the speed of growth at the airport. So that's why we wanted to ensure that we were looking at actually what's happening now in terms of the speed of growth. Whether people agree with it or not, it has been growing in, uh, you know, increasingly fast. Actually, the amount of passenger numbers put on is, is ahead of the Sustainable Development Plan figures, so that they're increasing faster than even MAG thought they were going to. So it's important for us in the evidence base to ensure we've assessed you know, the most up-to-date figures possible, the most up-to-date growth numbers possible, um, so that we can use those in the transport assessments, in the employment projections, um, and yes, in, in, in the housing projections as well, to ensure we've got the most up-to-date um, up evidence. It would be you know, foolish to base it on the East of England forecasting model, which has been used up till now, which we know is out of date. You know, it hasn't been brought up to date to, to take into account the, the, the growth that Stansted has seen. All that would end up as doing is that at some point in the future, six months, 12 months, when that is updated, is we'd, we'd be behind the curve in terms of that information. So that's why we wanted to commission the most up-to-date information, looking at what's actually been happening on the ground. Yes, it extrapolates that out going forward. Yes, it's based on assumptions from the airport, but the assumptions from the airport at the moment are the ones that are being borne out by what's actually happening on the ground. Um, we know, whatever we like it or not, that there will be a planning application to remove a, a cap. Um, you know, we are testing the scenarios um, in, in highways terms, in employment terms, so that, that if that potentially is reached, it will be reached within the plan period. So we need to understand the effect it's going to have. That's not predicting the outcome of a planning application because that's a separate process. This is a local plan process. We have to make the assumptions for the next 20 years in the best light that we, we have. Um, so there is a possibility that the cat will be lifted and we need to understand the impact of that. 
um, on, on the local road network, on the local job network, on the local housing network. It may be that that doesn't happen, but at least we've, we've had the evidence that we can then use um, to assess the different scenarios. And you know, we must be clear, the housing number, the objectively says the, the 568 is not, as Mr. Payne said before, is not the figure that will necessarily find its way into the, the local plan. The jobs figure that we have here is not necessarily the jobs figure that will find its way into the local plan. It's an evidence-based document that we then need to pull together and at the end, when we've done all the assessments in relation to what the highways can take, what land is available, that's when we start looking at, you know, yes, this is definitely our figure, this is definitely how we're going to deliver it. Um, and this is an early piece of evidence, and we will need to assess it critically to understand whether it, you know, it's being borne out and the next six months the projection is, is still going on. You know, it is, it's very difficult, and I know it's, it's a very, you know, very motive for, for Rattlesford in terms of the issue of Stansted, um, but we need to... You know, be broad about looking at the evidence. You know, we can't, and this is the same with all evidence bases, we can't send them back to the consultant and say, we don't like what you did. You've actually got to do something different. When you ask a consultant to make an assumption based on, you know, what the job numbers would be at 35 million, 45 million and the impact, they go away and do it and they come back with their professional assessment. Exactly the same as the highway consultants that we've appointed might not like the answer. They will come back with their professional assessment. We can't send it back and say, we don't like it. Can you tweak it, please? It is what it is. Um, what we do with it is down to us as a council um, and how we use that data to, to plan the future of our district and how we use the range of data that we have is, is the important bit, not necessarily the evidence base itself. Thank you. Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you. I was um, on holiday in Peru for the uh, last meeting of the working group, so I didn't have the pleasure of uh, at that meeting scrutinising the Schmar report. Um, I flew from Heathrow, by the way. Um, I mean, there have been some challenges raised tonight. I, you know, I, I'm in no position to, to comment on them, but it does seem to me that uh, that, that we should follow through these um, these challenges to see whether or not there is anything in them. Um, so I think it is important that we take that that information on board uh, rather than just. Um, rather than ignoring it. My, I mean, my question in a way is related because, of course, I've been around here long enough to, um, in, for the day, in the days of uh, airport-related housing uh, and the, um, the justification for the housing in particularly along the A120 corridor. Uh, and, of course, at the time, you know, most of us said, well, hold on, most of these houses aren't going to be occupied by people working at the airport. And... Um, um, one of my questions on the paper that we have in front of us tonight is how one um, relates the jobs in here to the need for people who occupy those jobs and whether or not they live in the district. And I think we know full well that a high proportion of, probably a very high proportion of people who work at Stansted Airport travel in, um, largely because they big chunk, big proportion of those jobs aren't well enough paid to be able to afford to live in this district. And of course one of the reasons one of the reasons for providing more houses is to somehow or other try and uh, balance that out. So so I think there's a there's I, I, I want to, offline, I don't we can't do it tonight. I, I want to satisfy myself that the 
the credibility of these numbers, um, how that fits in with the Shema, uh, and, and, and the justification for the numbers in the Shema. So, I mean, I'll take that offline quite clearly because it's complicated. I know it's complicated, and it'll probably take me hours to get my get my head half around it, never mind totally around it. But I, I, I think I'm making the point that we, we should take note of what um, both Mr. Young and Mr. MacDonald have said uh, and, and, and see whether there is an explanation that uh, we can feed back or, or and make sure it's on record that, we, that we've done that. Okay, Councillor Barker. Um, I think Mr. Young made reference to the, um, well I know that he did, make reference to the percentage growth that suggested with the within the SMAR in terms of housing. And I think he's quite correct, because although the SMAR is a very detailed piece of work, it does not set out exactly why they decided to allocate X number to Uttlesford, X number to Harlow, X number to Epping Forest, or X number to East Hearts. And I think that is a very valid point that we should look at. It is a piece of evidence, but do we agree with the conclusion that it's got to come to about the allocation of houses between those four districts? And I think that's a, a very valid point, and I think something this committee should discuss at some point. Councillor Barry. Will um, the remarks that were made be included in yes, written form in the minutes? In the minutes? Mm -hmm. um, can I propose that, that we can have a look at them and maybe put it on the next agenda to have another assessment or wait and see? once we've read them and compared them, whether they want it to go on the next agenda. Uh, I, I think the um, uh, 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 Councillor Dean sort of indicated this as well, and, and it was the point that Mr Taylor made. We've, we've done a Schmar exercise and had some indicative figures, um, but that's not the end of the story. Uh, that The actual number that we put forward in our plan will be our decision not the Schmar. We've still got a duty to cooperate process to work through. There's lots of other considerations to take into account. So in answer to, I think the point you're making is, of course, the points that have been made by Mr. Young and Mr. McDonald will be taken into account, um, and along with the Schmar report, uh, and, and, and will be part of the number that we collectively put forward. And I think I've said before that uh, we've, I think we've got a good enough dialogue now with DCLG that when we come up with a number, we road test that with um, them, stroke, another inspector, or at least somebody who's going to give us some clarity in response, because what I don't want to do is to go forward on a number uh, that uh, will be seen to be inappropriate at the end. So I, I think we should road test that number, but take all this, all this evidence into account. And I think you know, there is, there's quite a big clue in terms of what the last inspector said, what the Schmar process said. So you're starting to get move into an area that seems fairly consistent, around sort of 568 to 580. Something. You know, this is where the, ev the evidence so far has come. So um, to come up with a wildly different figure, you'd have to have some very substantive evidence to support that. But as I say, off the back of all of this, um, I want to take up what I think was an offer by the Minister to, to road test the figure. Councillor Dean, then Councillor Lachlan. Yeah, I'd just like to come back to the word allocated. I'm not quite sure what Councillor Barker was referring to when she was talking about allocations, whether she was talking about homes or my... I ringed the word allocated on page 167 of, of this jobs 
document which is talking about the number of jobs allocated in this exercise to Uttlesford. I don't know how you allocate jobs to, 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 to a district um, unless it's, a, it's an allocation that you then somehow or other strive to achieve. Um, but but it, you know, that comes back to my point. You know, the allocation of jobs isn't necessarily the same thing as the allocation of housing because if the people who are working here don't live here, then, then it's a different formula, it's a different relationship, isn't it? And so there are, I, want, I want to try and understand a bit more about the relationship between allocation of jobs and allocation of homes. Um. And there is a formula that is used uh, statistically for a number of jobs you know, equals X number of workers. Um, the SMAR is a very long, detailed document. What I would suggest we do is that we ask the officers to recirculate that to this group so we can all have a look at it again. And if there are issues that we wish to raise, then we can do that um, either through this group or offline, but at least we can have a look and see if we are happy with the conclusions that have led to the conclusions they've made in the allocation of housing numbers. Um, there is an awful lot of it that is jobs-led, and a lot of that is around making some of these assumptions. Um, but as I say, what I would suggest is that the Schmar is recirculated to members, they can have a look at it and sort of bring back comments to this board. Councillor Lodge. Just as a corollary to that, and could we ask the officers then to, to point out the effect of, of the uh, Stansted Airport jobs and the input into the Schmar? So if they could highlight that for simplicity for members to see. Thank you. Right, did you want Councillor Loughlin? Um, well, I haven't had benefit of seeing these uh, figures as uh, Councillor Dean and Councillor Lodge have, so I, I, would, I would like to see that, please. Uh, and I'd also like, well, I know that uh, Stop Stansted Expansion has uh, their uh, experts, and I do believe, I don't know if you're speaking for yourself, you're speaking for yourself, not Stop Stansted Expansion, right, but I, well, knowing Mr. McDonald as I do, I'm sure that he did do a lot of work on that, and uh, I would like, perhaps he could speak to officers and see where, he, you know, you could get some, I don't know, some cooperation together so you could work out these figures because it would be good to get them right. At the moment it's a bit confusing for those of us, you're going by Schmar and Mr McDonough gives us another set of figures so we have to listen to everybody. Um, you know, not that I'm criticising Schmar or the consultants but uh, you know, we've now we've got another thing to think about which we didn't have when we came here earlier so I just wondered if that would be possible. We can do all of that, uh, but none of us in this room know exactly how many passengers there are going to be in 2030 at Stansted Airport. Um, and, uh, but what, as Mr Taylor has indicated, is that the piece of work took into account uh, what the scenario might be uh, and uh, what the current evidence is, what the Planning Commission indicates as well. So, and that is what the inspector would expect us to do as well. He would expect us to be future-proofing, um, which is why I think he came up with his figure the last time. But what we've been asked to do is to, um, uh, certainly the comments that have been made are part of the minutes, so uh, that, that, that's a given anyway, is to bring back uh, the, uh, to recirculate the Schmar figure, you have it actually, in, in, it's already on the website, but um, we can recirculate that and put it back on the agenda for the next item and perhaps to tease out the Schmar in relation to the indicative figures around Stansted Airport as well. Um, it gives us another chance to consider that. Okay.
On that basis, um, the recommendation is that the working group note the published Uttlesford Stansted Scenario summary paper and spreadsheet and their adoption into the local plan evidence base. So we're noting, uh, but we are also doing the action that I've just indicated. Those in favour? That it's coming back to the next meeting. Yeah, that, that will happen. Yeah, unanimous. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you to our two speakers. Thank you. Okay, uh, item eight, the duty to cooperate. Again, I think we've probably talked quite a bit about this, but uh, I ask Mr. Taylor to comment. Yeah, thank you, Chairman. I mean, uh, I take the point of Councillor Parry, I think it was about the length of time since the previous one. Um, Apologies for that, but it is a, a, a detailed assessment um, going back to, to March um, of all the different meetings that are relevant to, to this aspect in terms of this council and a, a large range of appendices in terms of minutes. Some are already published, actually, um, so, but they're, they're here, so we've got them in a, in, a, in a format in relation to Juice to Cooperate report. One of the key things about it um, about the, the duty to cooperate is not that you have meetings um, but that there is a, a demonstrable outcome from them and a purpose to them that you, you can have meetings as many as you like but there's no point if you just don't get anywhere or don't have concrete outcomes um, and, and that's one of the things um, certainly when we look at um, uh, I think Mr Payne had the planning advisory template in, in an earlier report when we actually come to present to the inspector a duty to cooperate statement it's important that we demonstrate the outcomes of the meetings not just that we've had them but there's a, a, a demonstrable outcome so you know, the co-op board uh, um, appointed consultants to carry out the Shema for example and there's a outcome of that but the next outcome is ensuring that the housing identified is delivered within the Shmar area and that there is a collective agreement about how that is going to be done so a lot of these difficult decisions are actually yet to come um, but this sets out the stage of where we are at the moment um, but even now it's, it's out of date because as Councillor Barker said we've had a number of meetings over the last week and, and got some coming, coming forward so there's, uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't stop Thank you very much. Colleagues, we have covered much of this ground, but um, yeah, and we've I, already got a couple of actions in terms of getting the minutes out quicker and, uh, future, uh, and a timetable of future meetings as well. I, I guess my question is about, is about outcomes or potential outcomes or lack of outcomes, because I, I wrote down here what are the key factors on which cooperation is important and looks achievable and secondly, cooperation is important but looks unlikely. Um, in other words, are, are we sort of game-playing this? Are we sort of thinking ahead and what are, what are the um, obstacles, the things that, or the things that are going to jump up and bite us that we should be uh, planning for? Uh, is, are we getting a feel for the situation with our friendly neighbours already? Um, yes, yes, we are, and I think actually some of them were picked up on the risk document that Mr. Payne did a, a few meetings ago. I mean, the critical ones are the housing numbers and ensuring that they are delivered. We're not at that stage yet. Councillor Barker previously mentioned about you know, the Greenbelt study of Epping and, and duty to cooperate in terms of ensuring that the 40-odd thousand within the Shmar area are delivered. That's a critical thing that we need to ensure. Highways is a critical issue, another thing that's been flagged up um, in, in, in the risk report previously. Um, one of the reasons we've appointed the highways consultants, you know, that's a re you know, 
a strategic cross-border issue, and some of that is outside even the scale of the local authorities. It's a Highways England. It's a national government um, issue in relation to Junction 7, 7A, 8. They're two critical things. The other things, to some extent, ste- uh, I'm sorry, and, and, and the the airport I will chuck in there because we, we always have uh, you know the four authorities have historically and no doubt will continue to um, East Hearts, Hertfordshire, Essex and ourselves will continue to work together um, on a collective basis in relation to, to the airport but the other things really to some extent depend on the strategy the sites that we adopt you know we, we know there are sites um, or areas of search close to South Camps, which is why we've had a meeting with them. We know there are areas of search close to Braintree, which is why we're about to have a meeting with them. Um, so some of those critical issues will come out you know, or develop depending on the strategy and, and the areas of search and the sieving process. But the, the three that I mentioned are the ones that we've identified now. Um, and the coming months will demonstrate whether or not our friends, you know, we can continue to, to work closely with them and whether there are problems in that critical path. You know, the housing one is a key one. We don't know. It's out of our control what's going to happen in relation to the Epping Greenbelt Review and what members there think they wish to do in terms of taking land out of the Greenbelt to deliver their housing needs or not. You know, that's completely out of our control. Until they've made those decisions, we don't know the impact it might or might not have on us. Um, but you are right to raise it because they are key critical paths both in terms of understanding the risks for our local plan process delays to the timetable, additional housing numbers change of distribution they are critical things that that will be impacting on us and are outside our control I think uh, whether you go for the Councillor Lachlan view of the the, um, cowboy attack on the corral uh, or uh, what clearly would be helpful if each district took what is perceived to be its fair proportion. I think once you start to get in a negotiation beyond that, it gets very complicated. And it's a perfectly legitimate point to say, we're already taking a lot of houses, why should we be taking them from another district? Um, On the one hand, to um, the inspector who frankly couldn't really care less in terms of the arguments between one district and another and will be looking to the total sum across those four districts. So, you know, it is a path down, between, down the middle, but I think our starting position would be um, it, it really would be helpful if each district took its uh, uh, proportionate amount. So we can't really say more than that at this stage, unless you want to add to that, So, Well, what I would add is it's highly unlikely that Harlow will accommodate its housing targets within its boundaries. Harlow will be looking to cooperate with East Hearts and um, you know, that will be a discussion for them and of course the, um, any new homes bonus or similar that uh, whatever will then rest with East Hearts but Harlow has large um, Harlow is keen to expand I mean it's, it was even mentioned in the budget speech yesterday but you know Harlow is a growing area and as, as districts um, whether it's through the, the London Standstone Consortium, whether it's through the duty to cooperate, whether it's through the new West Essex Transport Board, you know, we have to decide what the priorities are for what will be continued expansion um, in growth industries in Harlow and indeed, you know, increased expansion at, at, at the airport. And we need to make sure as districts that along with the housing is the infrastructure and everything else that delivers the best we possibly can. Councillor Mills Um, On page 172 points 24 and 25 relate to um, Andrewsfield Boxted Wood developments Um, 
can I be assured that the minutes of those meetings are available in the public domain is the first question. And secondly, um, I'm concerned that I need to be able to sort of uh, inform the people that are coming to me with their concerns at this stage that nothing untoward is happening and it is completely transparent. No, they're not in the public domain. Um, this is, uh, I mean, we were uh, invited to attend this meeting. Um, effectively, um, Braintree are ahead of us in, in terms of the Garden City Development community interest company and the work they're doing for them. So this was a meeting that we attended you know, as observers. Um, and so if I describe it the same way as we've done, so we've invited you know, the, develop, the promoters of sites of over 1,000 to come so we can start to understand their, their assumptions, their methodology. And that will feed into the work we're doing. But um, at the moment, it's not appropriate for you know, formal minutes and, and details to be released because we, you know, we're not at that stage. It's about, and there aren't any, so I can't release them. Um, <laughs> um, so if someone put a freedom of information request in, I don't have any. So just to make that point clear. Um, but they will feed in, and those, those discussions, understanding will feed in to the process that I described earlier about will, so are, are there sites that could deliver a, a new settlement or are they not, and the viability and the level of infrastructure. So that will feed into the process in terms of the reports that come through next year. Um, but they are not, they're not minuted meetings in that sense. Um, but nothing untoward is going on. I mean, we were invited, and this is important, we were invited to, to uh, attend the meetings with, with Braintree. Um, Garden City Developments on our behalf are continuing to meet with um, promoters to understand the issues involved so that by the time that members need to make these decisions, we have the necessary information. If we don't have these meetings until February, March, April time, it will be another six months and then we won't be consulting on a local plan in autumn, we'll be consulting on it in 2017 because there's a huge amount of work um, to do to understand the, the detail that sits behind these, these submissions um, so that we can we can have, or you can have sufficient information on which to make that, that judgment before you press your button again. Um, just on, on the Greenbelt and housing and Epping issue, you know, Councillor Rolf has said it before, it's important that we have a duty to cooperate, which doesn't necessarily amount to a duty to agree, but, but we need to go through that process thoroughly to ensure ourselves that we've done it properly, because we will have to demonstrate that to the inspector. So that's a, it's a vital process that we have to go through before whatever the outcome is. Did you want to come back? But, but just before you do, I, I, I really do want to emphasise uh, what Mr Taylor has said because um, we can't take the guidance in the new year in terms of the sieving process or anything else unless they have gathered more information. But that is one of how many sites have you had? 370. 370 sites. A hell of a lot of work's got to happen, and that, but it is no more important or less important than any other of the 369, and that is the absolutely fundamental point. We, are complete, we have a completely blank page at the moment, but work has to carry on in terms of starting to get the key criteria data, but uh, do come back if you wish. Uh, no, I think that's uh, a good point made. I just want to be sure that it's completely transparent and that all the sites are being treated in the same manner. Obviously, once the public hear of these type of meetings, then the hairs start running, yeah, and that's why I'd rather yeah. get the statement on the record. Yeah. Um, secondly, Braintree is obviously about six months in front of us. Um, if Braintree decide 
to put their housing in that location, um, does, how does that affect what we're going to do on our side of the boundary? Although it's a, I realise it's a line that doesn't exist. Well, um, they can do what they like on their side of the boundary, um, and we will go through the process that we've outlined tonight for our side of the boundary. Yeah, I mean, we have to explore all those issues because, you know, if they do choose to do that, it will have an impact. You know, so we have to understand all the different scenarios um, about what might happen in those areas, and that's why it's vitally important. Officers have had meetings with Braintree officers last week. We've got a council and officer meeting coming up next week to understand all these issues so that we, we understand the tensions on both sides. But, you know, underlining Councillor Rolf's point, you know, no decisions have been made, but we did, it's, I think Mr Payne said it in one of his presentations, you know, it's, it's difficult doing this in public because it does set hairs running, and that's difficult. And at one level, you can be as transparent as you like, and it still sets hairs running. And we've had that from the public meetings, but we have to go through these processes because then we, otherwise we won't have the level of information that we need an understanding of the different issues and all our boundaries um, at the time that we need them. Um, when you said councillor and officer meeting, uh, we must... Yeah, but that is on a duty to cooperate. Sorry, I, I meant just to be meeting, clear, this is not about a site. Councillor Barker, no, and Councillor Lady. We're having no meetings about sites. Okay, uh, any other put Councillor Dean. I mean, having looked you know, through all this lot, it's quite clear that this whole process is a, a job creation industry or a meeting attendee creation industry. Um, I'm not sure whether... I think it might have been simpler in the days of regional assemblies when you, everybody got together in one place and you, weren't, uh, you didn't have so many. You had to look north and then you had to look south separately. Sounds very subjective, you, that one, Councillor Dean. You did it all this in the is same objective. place. But what I, what I was going to say was on page 207... I mean, just to illustrate this, page 207, there's a notes of a spatial, strategic spatial planning officer liaison group. And only today I, I received um, an email looking for nominees for people to join the wider southeast political steering group. Uh, is, is that something that doesn't exist at the moment? Uh, it sounds as though it doesn't because they're... Um, looking for cross-party representation on, on yet another body, it would appear, but I wouldn't know because I don't know the history. Um, no, you're quite right. It, it doesn't exist at the moment. This is the work for the wider south-east, the, uh, the London plan. Um, the work that's gone on this year is to put a structure to get its meetings about putting a structure together to have meetings. So, you know, that, that's what... And then the structure of meetings will happen next year. But it's, effectively, it's taken the last year, or since May to have the meetings in London, in the east of England, in the southeast of England, with all the councils. We have two different meetings in the east of England and various officer meetings to put together a structure which is going to the group on the 10th of December in London to agree a process to move forward for discussions. And that includes a much smaller political steering group, which is what you've just referred to, uh, politically balanced across the east of England, London and the southeast of England. The three of us spent all day today in Epping in duty to cooperate meetings, 10 o'clock till half four or something. It's a huge, yeah, this is a huge piece of work trying to tie all these things together. Um, and one feels that you are doing lots of meetings, not necessarily for meeting's sake, but, um, yeah, Grace, I'm doing this Great London Authority on Monday. 
know, that's that's on, on and then the next one's on Friday. You know, it's it, it's a huge amount of work trying to tie these things together, but you have to be involved because you, you need to understand what's going on. I mean, I'm reminded of a, a question or a point that was made at the uh, public meeting in Stansted last week, where a gentleman who happens to be here tonight, you know, said, "Who's accountable for this lot?" Um, it's a bit difficult to work it out, isn't it? <laughs> in the end, the council was accountable. Okay, any other points? No? Okay, the um, recommendation is to note the report, um, which we have duly done. Thank you for the discussion. Moving on to item 9, which is the update to the housing trajectory and five-year land supply statement, pretty fundamental to everything that we're doing. The author is Sarah Nicholas, who I don't see in the room, so it will be Mr Taylor. Um, thank you, Chairman. The, uh, it's unusual for us to update this document at this point in the year. We do it in June, and you'll see that it came in June 2015, the updates taking into account what had happened up to April um, of this year. Um, what this document does is it inserts the figure of 568 from the Schmar to, un to put that in the context of, of the various tables that we have. So that we have, we've still got a couple of scenarios in there about different levels of, of growth, um, oh, sorry, different levels of housing um, supply per year. But it, it updates that with, with more, um, uh, um, more recent information and removes the previous 2012 figures. Um, the other thing it does is taking into account the advice we've received from the inspector um, and the uh, various appeal decisions, it confirms our view that we are a 5% authority rather than the 20% authority, that's in paragraph 9 um, going forward, um, and, 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 and demonstrates that at the top of page 217 in terms of the, uh, the, the two figures there, the 580 from the inspector and the 568 from the strategic housing market assessment, and then looks at the 5% buffer. What it hasn't done is updated any consents or completions that have been granted, you know, that have happened since April this year. That will happen um, next year at the normal time. All it's done is taken the data from up till the uh, end of March and inserted the new figures and tweaked them in accordance. So it provides an update that we can use in relation to appeals based on the new evidence that we are using. For example, this, uh, the Schmar mentioned earlier has been tested by Gladman Homes in the recent inquiry in Clavering. Councillor Oliver will attest to the fact that everyone there thinks our Schmar numbers are far too low, far ridiculous, far too low, and we've had to defend that figure robustly there. And the Gladman appeal in Great Canfield um, in January, we are lining up um, again to have to defend the Schmar considerably and ORS the consultants will be coming to defend um, the Schmar because it's important that we, that we do defend this but this evidence it can then be um, used in relation to the appeals and development management application, uh, applications but it doesn't change it, it just inserts the most recent information to try and update it as much as possible ah, Thank you Chair Thank you, but it does emphasise the importance that without a five-year land supply, we have a serious challenge on our hands. Um, any? On, on page 219, I've got a slight problem with the, the tables. I think there might be a, a spreadsheet error. I can understand the net figure of minus 28 at the bottom, but I can't make any sense of the minus 235 in the top table. Yeah, I, I, I noticed the same thing. Did you? I think I think it probably it shouldn't have been there shouldn't have been a total there. But um, um, I don't need an answer now. It probably needs somebody to just work work it out. But I think it's a 
composition error. Fine, we'll look at that, Chairman. And yeah, I, I think it, it, in the first box it must be an error because we can all do the maths, it's minus 28. Uh, Councillor Oliver. Thank you, Chairman. I would support what uh, Mr. Taylor said. The Gladman people in the Clavering inquiry tackled, attacked the, our figure and were very much of the view that we were not a 5% agreement and they were coming up with figures of 700,000, 800,000. Uh, um, Mr. Spry seems to go around the country selling himself to people like Gladman to produce these rather horrendous figures. Let us just hope that the inspector does not agree and we wait with trepidation the, his decision on the 23rd of December or thereabouts. Right. Any other? Councillor Lodge. Um, not quite on this, but a related subject was the, um, the, the number of homes that we're looking for in the planned period. I think there's been some confusion over the numbers as was brought up in the meetings. So the question is, one of the earlier views for the consultation was that we were looking for 3,000 additional homes in the planned period. I believe there was a revision which said that it's nearer to five. Could you confirm that that number is actually, I think it's 4,700 as the, uh, the headline figure in the planned period? Uh, in an earlier report, we've talked of 12,500, I think, haven't we, in the Schmar figure? Yes, but, yes, but most of those... 5,000, around 5,000 be allocated. No, 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 I'll come on to that, but the total figure is yeah. around 12 and a half. I think uh, in terms of actually built, it's just under 2,000, but we say around 2,000, it's about 1,900, I think, and then around 5,000 planning permissions. The, the point about those planning permissions, though, some of them go beyond the five-year period. So if... As you know, if, if, if a substantive number of um, a, a planning permission for a big um, uh, area is given, then and they're going to build at about 100, 150 a year, then it could well go beyond the five years. Because otherwise, if we've got 5,000 planning permissions, then clearly we've got comfortably got a five-year um, uh, coverage. But that isn't the case because of the length of time that some of those will go. They'll go beyond the five-year period. So, well, I mean, it's all in the maths here, but um, we have between a 5.1, 5.3 cover, and obviously that means we've got to continue to give planning permission to keep that going. Otherwise, we'll fall behind um, and, and await for the, the adjudication. But, uh, you know, one would... There's a question mark about whether we're a 5% or a 20%. There's a slight question mark about whether the uh, inspector's figure of 580 should be the one that's used. I don't think there's any evidence that suggests you, would suggest that you go beyond that. And, you know, the earlier discussion is that there's a strong case for below that. But um, I can't, couldn't think why one would go beyond 580. So at the moment, we are covered. But it's a, you know, it's a moving feast. Dean. All I wanted to add to that was uh, you know, the debate between 568 and 580. The inspector did say about 10% and about 580. Well, 568 is about. Yeah, yeah which, which so, is why you feel you're so in the right area. But going back, if I think, it comes sorry, to the crunch, I, I, we could choose a lower one safely. Going back to Councillor Lodge's earlier point, that 12.5 minus 2 minus 5 is about 5.5. That's sort of the day minimalist that we're looking for. Uh, because I believe we went out in a consultation in one scenario for 3,000, did we not? Oh, that might have been one of the scenarios, was it? Hmm. 
Could we possibly have a reflection and a recalculation and a circulation? It's a fairly simple calculation, isn't it? Yes, of course. I think the numbers are pretty consistent, though, through most of the, the paper. There were some scenarios, what if, but the key figures were the ones that I've just related. Yeah. And then, obviously, balancing a five-year land supply with whatever we do. Yes, I was, I was confident it was around 5,000 is the gap. But I, yeah. I, but, but I was concerned that no, there was something like 3,000. I think with some confidence somewhere. you can yeah. say five, yeah. five and a half is the gap. I think what we haven't, and I know you've raised the point publicly in the past, um, how um, is there any leniency on behalf of the inspector stroke the government uh, in terms of if you went for a single, if uh, you went for a single settlement and that clearly wasn't going to deliver in the five years, what is the leniency around that? And that is very much case unproven. Um, there's some evidence from South Cams and City of Cambridge that they wouldn't consider that. But I think there is no case, as I understand it. Am I right, officers, around that? Um, yes, that's right. You know, it it's, uh, would be a risky strategy. We'd certainly want to take guidance on but, that before we went. But just to say, I, I asked a very, very direct and specific question to the Planning Advisory Service when they were presenting, and, and they, they didn't dismiss it as a possibility. No, they said it could uh, be possible. exactly. They didn't dismiss it, but they're not a planning inspector. So anyway, um, right. Uh, item nine was that the update to the house. The recommendation is that the update to the housing trajectory and five-year land supply statement be noted. We've duly done that. Those in favour? Unanimous. Thank you very much indeed. Moving on to item 10, the waste local plan, additional consultation, Newport Quarry. Um, is that Mr Taylor again? Right, yeah. thank you. Um, Chairman, you, you will remember that we had this item um, working group in July um, looking at the consultation from Essex. Um, during the consultation, additional sites have been put forward in terms of uh, a number of them, but, but one in relation to Newport Quarry. Um, so they're carrying out an additional consultation um, to, uh, to, to seek views, um, which actually um, closes today, or has closed. Um, and uh, it's important that, that we respond to that. Um, we have sent in um, our initial response, obviously, because we, we need to do so before the date, but we're able to update that um, in terms of taking into account any comments from members. Um, and uh, the paper before you sort of sets out officers' views in relation to the site in terms of response to Essex. I think you're drawing our attention to paragraph 17, aren't you? Yes, sorry, yes. That, that is the draft response. Would it be helpful for those at home and those in the room what Adelsford's draft response is? When members considered the sites in the initial consultation, there was concern whether... In order to minimise the impact on the surrounding areas and, pre and prevent the loss of greenfield sites, the most efficient use was being made of mineral sites for waste management purposes. Essex County Council is therefore asked to consider this site in the light of this view and consider if it is more preferable to greenfield sites elsewhere in the district. Councillor Barker. Um, Chairman, I do have a small problem with this because actually there is no requirement for Uttlesford to have any sites. This is an Essex-wide consultation and an Essex-wide plan. So I would actually like the last words changed. Consider if it is more preferable to greenfield sites elsewhere in the county. There were sites put forward in Uttlesford, but there were sites put forward in Braintree and sites put forward all over the place. And Essex has chosen or moved forward with some of its sites. 
but there is no actual requirement for any site to be within this district. Do I get a show of support for that? I'm getting a yes. So uh, we'd like the last word in that paragraph to be changed from district to county. Councillor Parry, did you want to, or was that just a support for that? I was actually thinking of something and it, it was in support for that and now I've forgotten what it was I was thinking. But yes, is it worth pointing out what Councillor Barker just said about the not having a requirement for such sites in, Uttles in the district? Well, to put and that into that the text it, as well. To, just to bring the point, make the point very clear. Um, I, I've got no point, point to that. I mean, Essex knows it. They've done a very... Uh, they did, back in 2011, doing a very thorough consultation. We did find um, that some of their comments... We, we responded to the main uh, consultation. And I think when they were looking at sites this time around, they, they hadn't updated things in view of the fact that life had moved on a bit. Um, a couple of the sites they put forward as reserve sites, um, such as the Ridgeon site in Saffron now have different planning permissions on them. Start Hill of Great Halibury, different planning permissions. And, uh, you know, we have asked them to review their comments in light of that. But I've got no problem adding a bit of text to say that, you know, it's difficult. Um, nobody desperately wants a, 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 an inner waste landfill site near them. They're not that terrible things, but um, I think... You know, perhaps um, there are better and worse sites, and I don't, I don't think. Um, I think that, that sort of saying that you know they have to consider the gauge all the other sites in Essex is important. I, I think that probably answers the point. Otherwise, you're rather drawing attention to yourself. Do you know what I mean? I think you're making the point that it could be uh, it, it could be anywhere else. Uh, there is no assumption it should be in Uttlesford. So rather says uh, nowhere near me, mate. But. Um, yeah, I think, I think if we just change the last word, we're covering the, the, the point. Any other? No, in which case, uh, the recommendation that members endorse the officer comments submitted to Essex County Council as set out in paragraph 17, now with the change, district for county. Those in favour? Thank you. Unanimous. This brings us to the last item, 11, issues and op options consultation document report of minor amendments. Mr Payne. Um, so this short report sets out for information the minor amendments that were made to the public consultation version of the local plan issues and options consultation document following full council on the 13th of October. Um, following full council, the communications team were asked to review the text of the consultation document for clarity. As a result of this review, a number of minor amendments were made as set out in the table contained within the report. Thank you. Does anybody want to talk to that? So the recommendation is that the minor amendments made to the local... Mr Lodge. We, uh, we, we, we've touched on this before and, and what I see is maybe a slight procedural problem here and what will be good in future is that if uh, full council is not just rubber stamping the decisions they maybe need to have time to, to make any changes if needed and of course the time scale we were on was that it was council Tuesday and it went to print on Thursday so if we, I think the, 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 the lesson we should get is not to repeat that in the future. Yeah, I think the substantive point was that uh, council approved what had 
already been approved by the working group and signed off by everybody and it was subsequent to that that the changes were made but I think this goes back to Councillor Dean's point which is where there's something substantive like this to sort of highlight the point so that people have the chance to feed in beforehand uh, so we, we've, we've noted that point okay the recommendation is that the minor amendments made to the local plan consultation document following the full council and prior to consultation be noted those in favour thank you unanimous thank you very much indeed it's, uh, do we have a date for the next meeting 16th of December, Chairman. 16th of December. And um, I, I, I sense that each, each meeting now uh, will be focusing the mind on more and more difficult decisions. So, uh, but that is the nature of the thing. One thing that uh, will not be the case on December the 16th is the presence of Mr. Payne. So, on behalf of this committee and Uttlesford District Council uh, more broadly, uh, we thank you for your very significant uh, contribution to the planning process. You've uh, set us in the right path. We will do our level best to uh, follow the guidance that you've set in course. Wish you every success in Broxbourne and, um, and, and wish you a, a good future career. Many thanks for your help. Cheers. And as I, I I'd said, like uh, to endorse that and uh, hope you have a good time cooperating with Epping Forest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to do that as well and say thank you for your efforts. I think you've done a marvellous job so far. We're very sorry to be losing you, and I uh, hope the new job works well. Yeah. And I'll see you in the future corporate meetings. <laughs> Good night. Thanks very much.